Tom Chick. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. This week, we are going to talk about 30 minutes or less, but before we get to that, we have some catching up to do. As I said, I'm Tom uh. Chick. I'm here with Christian... Oh, God. Uh, Mc... Christian McClansky. I think I got that. Yeah, I'm here with that was Christian McClansky. Very elegant. Thank you. I'm, I'm not a McClansky. I'm an ape. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but we'll we'll dive a little deeper in a moment. I'm also here with Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, if you have a 30 minutes or less tagline for us, can you save it for a moment? Yeah. Uh, okay. Should oh. I say it now? No, no, please save it. Save it for a moment. Hold that thought, Kelly Wand, because as folks may realize, or maybe they don't, as we're keenly aware, we missed a week because I was in Texas for work. Uh, Why? Say what you were there for. Huh? Uh, I was covering QuakeCon. <laughs> it's not funny. Shut up. Uh, Dingus was on a on a cruise, and Kelly Wand, you uh, had a week long LARPing session. So we uh, last week. I came uh, in ninth again, just like last year. That's too bad. Uh, and and therefore we did not talk about a movie, uh, which I kind of think sucks because I've seen a lot of movies, and one of at least one of which was really good, and one of which I was surprised was was really good. Uh, and I kind of wished that we had talked about a movie that uh, I actually saw. So if what did you guys see in the last week that we should have talked about? Uh, Kelly Wan, did you uh, – so they don't have the – they don't have movie screenings at your LARPing session, I guess. So you probably didn't get out to see much, did you? My uh, lightning bolts – that I made out of Kleenex didn't have enough flour in them, <laughs> if that answers your question. It does. That helps. That helps. Now, Dingus, I know you saw something that I'm pretty sure you liked because we saw it, and I think we were allowed to talk about it afterwards because we weren't doing a podcast. What, what did you see, Dingus? Uh, are you talking about just uh, that I might have seen yesterday or that I might have seen over the last week? Ever. Oh. Well, first Two of weeks. All, you were on a cruise ship, and if you saw anything, I doubt it was a recent release when you were on that cruise ship. Why do you say that? They show recent releases on planes, and cruises are longer, so they should show fucking Showa and Godfather trilogy. Well, there was something showing uh, – re- the recent release that was showing constantly on the cruise ship was The Help, but I missed that. Ah, racist. Wait a minute. The Help? I thought that just opened this weekend and was beat by Planet of the Apes. Am I wrong about that? It's been out for two I, weeks. Uh, it's I don't know how long it's out, but it was showing on the cruise ship because it's uh, a Disney picture. And it, because uh, it was a at Disney sea, yeah. distribution rights uh, don't hold true over. Well, the actually, it was. It does sound <laughs> as, as Dingus was saying. It sounds like it was a distribution thing. Oh, because it was Sorry. a Disney cruise, and Dingus saying it's a Disney movie. So, Dingus, how is the help? Because I know you're keenly aware of these sort of socially conscientious, racially sensitive movies. Like, you're into that kind of thing. How how did you like The Help? I didn't get to see The Help. I wanted to see it because I, uh, I, I heart Jessica Chastain. But instead, I got to watch The Jungle Book, Cinderella, um, <laughs> Sky High. Sky High is a ah, great movie. Uh, I like it. I think, I think Sky High does sound like something Kelly Wand would like. Yep. 
I love that. I'm a huge sky high apologist. I don't know what because it is. Is it about when you go and you when you go and you swim on a Disney cruise? They can't just let you swim. You have to also watch gigantic movies looming over you and Disney Channel shows. Were there other Kurt Russell Disney movies? Uh, I'm sure there there are, but I I missed them. All right. Mm. Well, now, I know just was quit beating around the bush uh, because I think this is going to be this was a, for me at least a real revelation this summer. I know you quite liked it as well. Kelly Wan, you haven't seen it. We are here to now tell you to see this. Uh, Dingus, you saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes, yes? Uh, that is true. I, I did mm. see that. Mm. Now, Kelly Wan, what, what did you think of, so you hear, hey, they're doing a prequel to Planet of the Apes. Hey, James Franco is playing a brilliant scientist. Hey, it's a director you've never heard of. What does that make you think, Kelly Wan? Is that a movie you want to go to? Hmm. Well, the title, but I almost saw it, and then we just went, oh, let's just eat. So that's how close I came. <laughs> but it also made me think of how, you know, when in Jeff Goldblum was in The Fly, you know, he kind of has like a bug-eyed look to him. So you go, yeah, I could see him as a fly in any movie. Mm-hmm. But with James Franco, he's kind of shaved. So you go, oh, if he turns into an ape, it'll be even sicker. So I didn't uh, see it, though. Okay, I love how little you seem to know about it. Have you seen the trailer for it? Yeah, it made me not uh, want to see it. The trailer is, yeah. I'm so mad at the trailer. The trailer gives away way too much. Uh, I think it kind of misrepresents some of what the movie's doing. I watched the trailer after seeing the movie, and it just reinforced my commitment to, to never watch frickin' trailers. Uh, so did they throw the poop at you in 3D? I don't think it's in 3D. When they take over. <laughs> Final it's Destination not? 5 is very 3D. I saw oh. that. But uh, I, I don't you see it. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw a lot. I saw, so to Dingus, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is not in 3D, is it? Because you keep track of this kind of thing. It wasn't when I saw it. Yeah, I do not think it's a 3D release. Because I'm, I'm thinking back on it, and I don't think there's ever any 3D kind of stuff happening. Uh, no, I don't think so either. And I don't think it was marketed like that. I mean, I remember seeing the or being forced to ignore the trailer several times. Yeah. And I don't remember ever having 3D glasses on when that happened. Uh, and Dingus, I think you can back me up on this when I tell Kelly Wand it's a really like good script, uh, mm-hmm. and it it is. I, I cannot imagine that any of the actual Planet of the Apes movies are as good as Rise of the Planet of the Apes because I remember them being kind of cheesy. I know, I know. You're dumb. <laughs> well, aren't the Planet of the Apes? Well, Dingus, you've seen. I know, with all due respect, and I'll I'll accept. That. What are you talking about? How dare you not love the, everything about the first Planet of the Apes movie? Well, after we saw it, we got to talking about it, and I, I remembered, as we were talking about it, as a kid, I used to have Planet of the Apes action figure slash doll kind of things. Like, as a kid, I was really into that stuff. I haven't seen any movies since I've been growing up. Dingus, you watched one recently. Uh, but uh, I, I was really into that when I was little. Um, yeah, but I can't well, they, it's any good. They tell, they, I think we're, they're becoming science fact. Although I'm, I don't know if the Franco version it sticks to the same continuity they've already ruined every time, every sequel they make. First of all, I don't think you can call it a Franco version. Uh, the movie is good in spite of James Franco being <laughs> being really kind of miscast. And it, it's so funny. Like, he is 
I think he's just like eye candy in the movie. But mm-hmm. I laughed out loud when they showed the woman eye candy character. Because, you know, you've got the main good-looking scientist, and uh, that's fine enough. But then there's going to be the love interest, and she's a zoo veterinarian who just happens to be so incredibly hot. Like the moment she came on scene, it was just like – it was like almost surreal and absurd how incredibly hot the random zoo veterinarian is that, that uh, he has to consult with. Especially after seeing the other movie we had seen before that, and the uh, given the ethnicities, it yes. was just extremely uh-huh. uh, amusing. I mean, I think you know James Franco is just so amusingly awkward, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, the the movie is just smarter than it has to be. Yeah, I mean, hmm. that's, that's a weird so way to... surprising. It's just smart. And you know what else? It is so well-paced. I mean, we watch so many movies that seem to have, like, filler or that are drawn out or that don't end soon enough. I really liked how it just jumped right in and it kept moving at a steady clip and it had a good, solid payoff. Uh, and I, you know, it, I, I wish every action movie was as well-paced as Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which arguably isn't even really an action movie. And it doesn't overreach, you know. It's, yes. it. The the uh, the climax is exactly as big as it has to be. That's what she said, and um, it it doesn't so... it doesn't go too far. It it goes exactly it gets exactly as big as it has to be, and I really like that. About it. So Kelly Wan, there's, there's, there's your sign, Fra- Kelly Wan. Is it Franco's face on the Statue of Liberty at the end? You know, there there are great the tie-ins for the most part. There's one that's just way too heavy-handed, but otherwise the tie-ins to the previous Planet of the Apes movies, I thought were just 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 the right amount of subtle and conspicuous. Uh, so if you're a Planet of the Apes fan, I think there's just yeah. enough in there for you without it going over the top. That said. The one stupid callback line I absolutely could have done without, and I just thought it was so clumsy and, and absolutely missed the significance of the line in the original Planet of the Apes. Uh, Sadly, that whole character is is a little over the top. Um, oh, my God. That's, that's okay. I mean, that, that's okay because hey, uh, it really works. Remember so, when I said on. let's do a podcast about Planet of the Apes, <laughs> and then you guys <laughs> said... No, let's do 30 minutes less. That's what the Internet wants to hear us talk about for an hour. And I was even Don't willing to overlook think. all the weird CG stuff. Well, I, I would I would actually highlight – well, yeah. So it, it seems like uh, this is Weta just once again really wanting to show how to do cool CG characters in ways that all this creepy Robert Zemeckis-style stuff just cannot do. Right. Uh, it, it was great CG in the service of characters – and, yeah, so I quite like the CG. And, of course, Andy Serkis. By the way, here's a, here's a pop quiz for you guys. Ready for this? This is for... Uh, now he's typecast as a CG ape, isn't he? Andy Serkis, that's second in a row. Mm. Okay, what? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, his, by the way, his character, he's, a, he's, a, he's in a very well-written video game called... Uh, what's it called? Enslaved, Jumper. I think. No, it's... <laughs> Kelly one, who wrote the Jumper video game? Do you know? Uh, I can't remember. Chechnya, Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, so Andy Serkis is in a very well-written video game called Enslaved, actually written by Alex Garland. Uh, and his character in Enslaved is named, are you ready for this? Monkey. Oh, uh, it's racist. <laughs> so here's another little quiz for you guys. What two characters in, two actors in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, are in different movies 
with the same name. Mm. Uh, you and your fucking math questions. So exhausting. <laughs> All right. Uh, set designer spelled backwards. Uh, uh, this is really odd, but Andy Circus is gotcha. a movie. Are, they, are there red? It's got to be red. It's, Quite close. A close. it's close because one of them is Brian Cox. Brian Cox is in a movie called The Escapist. It's actually the movie that the director of the Rise of the Planet of the Apes did before that movie. It's a little indie prison escape kind of movie. It's actually pretty decent. But also, Andy Serkis is in a movie called The Escapist, which is British and is not the same movie. So, And they're both in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which I thought was And there's good. also an Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's the third movie. Very good, Kelly Wand. Very good. And that's the one with the circus in the movie. See, they get left at the circus. By like Ricardo Montalban runs a circus, and so the smart ape gets left at the circus. Andy Circus. See what I'm doing there? I actually don't know whether to believe you. Oh, you don't remember Armando, the Ricardo Montalban character? Oh, never mind. You only see the CG Planet Apes movies. Whatever, nerd. <laughs> I did not see the Tim Burton one, so I've got that going for me. That's uh, an abomination. You know what? I really hope that they are. I mean, it seems to be doing well. I'm glad it beat the help. It's number one tw- two weeks in a row. It deserves it because it's really smart. I, I, you know, I, I would love the creative team behind this to go on and do another Planet of the Apes movie. I, I hope that happens. Fingers crossed. Is it okay? So he's not the Heston character. James no, no, Franco's no, no, no. nothing like that. It's it's totally a prequel. It's uh, are there mutants? Are there atomic bomb worshippers? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. That's part of the delight. Is is time warp? Time warp? Yes or no? Tell me if there's a time warp. <laughs> the delight. Is how it goes. You know, and and it's good that Tom's not saying anything because what's so exciting is that uh, it leaves open. You know, for we've had a couple of origin stories, and this one works. I mean, they don't yeah. often work. Pre or prequels, that that kind of thing doesn't work, but this one does, and it even leaves you sort of. On a, on a kind of a cliffhanger. How are they going to bridge the gap? And I'm really excited about that. Uh, I never... Go, go ahead, Kelly. I want to cut you off. I was just going to say, so this is the one prequel that's good ever made, according to you guys. No, no. I, I thought the X-Men, uh, you know, I was I was the lone voice in this podcast. I thought the X-Men prequel was a was a really good one. And I think this one is too. I think it, it gives... Uh, you know, as an origin story slash prequel, it gives this whole idea of where we're going, and it and it makes me curious about how they're going to bridge the gap, and I hope they get a chance to. Yep, I do as well. So, uh, you know what else is a prequel? Here's a minor spoiler, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there because I don't think the movie's any good. This series has so completely run out of steam. The kind of twist in Final Destination Five is that it's a five prequel. no, no, it's a prequel. Oh. It's oh. actually Final Destination Zero. Ha ha. Ooh. <laughs> but don't uh, you Yeah, you're a piece of shit. But why? Is that a really... A, it's not <laughs> a big deal. I mean, it, it's just... What? No way. That's great. Now you've got to see it, you fucker. No, no, no. Do not see yeah. it. Kelly Wan, these things are so run out of steam. None of the kills are any good. The cast is in... No, Kelly Wan, the characters are so completely insufferable. The the bad people... <laughs> just like Cloverfield... No, the people talking at each other are that that stuff is just it's just unbearable sitting through that crap. It's so poorly written. None of the kills are any good. Uh, they're all ripped off from the earlier movies. Final Destination has run out of steam. I mean, I think it's been out of steam for a while, but there's no reason to go see Final Destination. Final Wait, Destination. so if it's a prequel, that means they'd refer to the events in it in the other movies, which they don't. Kind of like in the X Men movie. You know what I'm saying? 
Uh, wait, no, because, well, I don't want to get too much into wait, it. Wait, I thought it was like, uh, the twist was they, if they kill somebody, they're off the hook. Like, the You ring. would think that from the trailer, and they do play with that, but it's just so poorly realized. There's, there's nothing. Which, for that series, it's, I give you this, it's such a lame-ass series. Like, they have no, no new ideas for five movies. It's like when Doom 3 had, like, a character with a name in it, and it's like, that, the announced like, it was a big deal. Like, yeah, his name's Joe. Well, I, I really think, like like we talked about from the trailer, Kelly Wand, part of the brilliance of the previous Final Destinations is it does tap into these kind of understandable fears. You know, the big car accident, the plane wreck. And when they have to resort to a bridge collapsing, I mean, we had I uh, in Minneapolis maybe four years ago or something, there was a terrible bridge collapse, and that, that was a horrible thing. But that's not <laughs> universal fear. When you drive over a bridge... You might have that that brief. Oh God, what if it falls? But it's not. Uh-uh. It doesn't really tap into anything. At least three, I think, did the roller coaster deal, and then four, their big set piece with a NASCAR race. <laughs> I mean, once once they're trying to tap into people's fear of NASCAR, they've run out of ideas. So I, I just think it speaks volumes about five that the best they could come up with for an opening sequence is a bridge collapsing, and it's all CG. There's no like cool stuff in it. I mean, the whole bridge collapsing. I guess it looks good, but you're just so keenly aware. Oh, look, it's just CG. It, it's like something out of Independence Day. Ah, something's blowing up or collapsing. I mean, who cares? That's see, that's what's like. In the last good idea in a Final Destination movie was in the first one when he's eating that deviled ham, and then he almost like the closet almost gives him blood poisoning or something or tetanus, or something. Well, like oh, you can die slowly from a disease. Like that hasn't. They haven't gone into that territory in four movies. Well, what they have to do, I mean, the pattern in the movie now is they set up this scary bit, like, oh, he's going to get killed that way, and then he dodges it, and then something, like an anvil falls on it. Says something stupid, oh, you can drop fucking dead, like the bus, and then the bus. Right. That would be great if one of them was about dying of old age. (laughs) I know. Or he starved to death. Uh uh, here's, here's, you another, die from boredom. <laughs> here's another here's an idea of what you can expect from Final Destination 5 so that all the characters work at the same company uh, and the company <laughs> is it's a, it's a paper company by the way which I think it's straight out of the office I guess uh, the name of this paper company are you ready for this Presage Paper now, see, you're making it sound awesome, and I want to no, go. No, does that really make it sound awesome? That's just so on the nose and stupid. Why are you saying awesome. that? This is, uh, yeah, you're like the friend who told me, like, the crocodile falls on top of Dustin Hoffman and Hook, and I was like, dude, i got to see that. There's no way that's It's like everything you say that you think sounds dumb, and I'm sure when I see it, I go, oh, I see what Tom's talking about. So, Kelly, so how, did, how, did Hook, how, did, yeah, and how did Hook work out for you? I felt like an idiot. But it was still like, well, he didn't lie. <laughs> I'm living in an alternate reality where these things can really happen on a movie screen. $100 million. Uh, okay, well, go ahead and see it, and if I'm wrong. Uh, and you know what? Maybe I should feel bad about it. After all we've been through as you know men. That it's, such, it's such a non-part of the you movie. You know a fan, yeah. It's, it's, it really is something that was tacked on at the end. It is such a non-part of the movie. If they had played with that, if they had been aware of how possibly cool that could have been, I, I would have liked it. But it's sort of like they tested it, and the audience wanted some other kind of button or zinger at the end. So, oh, let's make it a prequel. I mean, and it's, it, it's such a non-issue. Uh, it's just a mind they stick at the end. Uh, if I told you that, you would have shit cocks for weeks. Weeks. I can't believe you. I'm going to save you from seeing this movie because I want you to see another movie instead. Do you ready to hear this? Uh, it's, I'm not seeing the fucking help. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, you see 
crazy stupid love? No, no Steve Carell is so lovable movies. So here's the I thing. Thought. I did a, I did a three for today. I went into three movies. One of the movies I went to see, I went into Crazy Stupid Love, and I left it after 20 minutes because I could have gone to see something else instead. And I, after uh-huh. 20 minutes of Crazy Stupid Love, I was like, oh, this is just so stupid and precious and pleased with itself. I'm not going to sit and watch this. So I went to a different one instead. Crazy Stupid Love, I, 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 did, I bailed. So the title was One Third, right? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah, that's true. But here's the big surprise. Here's something I want to tell you guys, and I think neither of you is going to believe me. I, I just don't know how to. So I, I also saw a, Smurfs. Smurfs. Oh, good lord, that's for babies. Uh, Attack the Block. Uh, I think some people might recommend that. I wasn't that crazy about that. It was okay. It was fine. Um, here's the thing that I really liked, and I, I'm going to say it, and neither of you is going to believe me, but I really, really liked the change up. <laughs> oh, Dude, that's so fucking stupid. You know why you're an idiot? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Wait, why I'm going to tell you why. Because if we switched bodies, okay, let me re- If me and Dingus switched bodies, right. we wouldn't go, okay, you got to sleep with Wendy, I'll smoke pot, and write a bunch of random shit for the podcast. And then what's well, like, we would figure out, like, some, we would go to science, we would go to NASA, or a witch doctor. We wouldn't, like, switch lives and do the commute every fucking day. Can and I we go back in? and key in the fountain again? Oh, go on. Sorry. Okay, well, yeah. everything you're saying, Kelly Wand, the movie is keenly aware of. Oh, good, good. Oh, yeah. Now, like, let me one. also tell you, Kelly Wand, <laughs> Change Up, very R-rated. Uh, I don't... People have different standards of what constitutes an R. If there's not actual <laughs> boobs in it, it's not Yeah, here we go, here we go. Lots of nudity, lots of drug use, lots of babies in peril. Mm, how, how, how much peril? Here's Compared to... Some- Final destination peril. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Babies yep. in peril that would uh, turn me off. Yep. Yep. Ooh, wow. Then you just uh, won Kelly Wand over. Here's another thing. Uh, Jason Bateman. So I was really put out with him in Horrible Bosses because I didn't. I just felt like he was phoning it in. Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds are great trying to play each other. They do a lot of fun, playful stuff. They are so energetic. I mean, it, it seems like they are both on board with this. I could imagine them kind of sleepwalking through some stupid body switch thing, but they are both just so energetic and invested and uh, just really bringing stuff to the table, I thought. And then finally, Leslie Mann, who I think we're all big fans of, especially me and yeah. Leslie Mann is so good. They make great use of that goodness. But something I didn't realize, Leslie Mann looks phenomenal naked whoa and so they show me her show me her taking a shit in trailers and i have to watch it every weekend for 20 weeks this movie trailer here's another thing there's a bunch of great stuff in the movie that you don't see in the trailer i because i i'd give mm. it, i didn't want to see this i watched the trailer several times and uh you know because i didn't want to sit through crazy stupid love after 20 minutes i was like screw this i'm gonna go give the change up a chance uh there's some great stuff in it that's not in the trailer i mean the, i knew all the jokes from the trailer and there was still plenty of stuff now that said it is just a studio comedy it does its stupid redemption stuff i feel it still kind of works ah. i know but i really really liked and was very surprised at how much i liked the change up so i want to see a body switch movie where it ends and they're like in old age and they're still each other and then they switch, like, just before they die. Well, just to let you know, like, yeah. everything oh. you said, that, like I said, the movie's keenly aware of that. One of the first oh. things they do is, like, okay, look, 
you know, Brian Reynolds is the single guy. Uh, uh, Jason Bateman is married to Leslie Mann. They're like, okay, we can't do this. Let's go tell Leslie Mann. You know, I, we'll go tell your wife what happened. And so they sit down and they try to tell her, and it's a great, great scene. It's written well. All three of them are, are together sort of firing on all cylinders. Uh, I love uh-huh. the scene where they're like, we cannot carry off a charade. Let's explain what's happened. Uh, and oh, that's a great scene. I, yep. I uh, I'm just in love with that scene. Yep. What? Wait. Oh, crap. Damn it. Dingus is in love with the scene? That From scene is, yeah. I mean, that's exactly the scene. If I had seen the movie and it hadn't had that scene, that's what I would have said. Why don't they just do that? Yep. Which is what Kelly Wan was just complaining about, and rightly so. Uh, damn it. <gasps> so there you go. There you go. I've put that on the table. Like I said, uh, studio thing. It does its, you know, it does its feel-goody kind of stuff, whatever. Uh, but I really liked it. I loved all three actors. I thought everyone was invested in it. It had a lot of energy. Uh, so that and Rise of the Planet of the Apes were, were very pleasant surprises for me. Wow. I want a Leslie Mann and a Kristen Wiig road movie. <gasps> oh, yeah. yes, Dingus. Yes, yes. That's a good idea. Dingus has the best pitches of the three of us. <laughs> Dingus, can you get on that? Can you green light that? And- even though he's yeah. the least <laughs> likely to get a meeting. Yeah, even though I'm the, ca- I'm the catcher. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Kelly Wan, so did you see nothing other than uh, 30 minutes or less in the last two weeks? Uh, why did you – so out of all the movies you just jizzed about, you make a C uh, – oh, never mind. I'll save it for the podcast. That save we- it for uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kelly Wan, what is your 30 minutes <clears throat> or less tagline this week? Oh, yeah. I forgot what we have to talk about. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I'd rather just hear you describe the change-up <sighs> scene by scene and me – Interrupt constantly with wait the, the metaphysics of that are inconsistent with the uh, Freaky Fridays because at the end of that the pizza and the microwave. All right, uh, oh, I fucked up my own line. Okay, pretend I didn't say that. Ready? Catchphrase. Okay. Want, want, want me to hear? I'll I'll cue you again. Read it. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. What is the uh, what is this week's tagline for thirty minutes or less? Oh yeah, the movie we're talking about, not something else about something. Uh, okay, comedy is like a pizza. If you got it for free, that's probably spit you're tasting. Uh, Dingus, can you elaborate a bit without any spoilers? What what is this thirty minutes or less thing? What's, what's yeah? The Did they shoot animatronic hippos on the Disney cruise? <laughs> Did you say thirty minutes or lettuce just now? Lettuce, come in. All right, this Get week it. we saw thirty minutes or less, a two thousand eleven American action comedy movie. Oh god, about a guy forced to rob a <laughs> bank. Uh, the film is directed by Ruben Fleischer and yeah, is written by Michael Diliberti, and it stars Jesse Eisenberg and a bunch of comedians. The film is rated R <laughs> for crude and sexual content, pervasive language, nudity, and some violence. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. I remember now. All right, Kelly Wan, can you possibly make us... Not regret having seen 30 Minutes or Less by doing a just awesome synopsis of it. Do you, do you think you have that in you? No, but I can just read some shit I wrote at the last second just before <laughs> the podcast started. It's vaguely related to the movie. That'll do, pig. That'll do won't, just fine. won't really do much for your opinion of anything. <laughs> All right. Although it may make you want, it may make you want future synopses less. <laughs> Gotcha. No, uh, this is great. That's genius. Well, what is it? What is it called this week? What's the name of it? Oh, thirty monopsis or less. <laughs> okay, that's clever. Uh, gotcha. Take that, Fleischer. Uh, I'll show him. Uh, all right. Yeah. 
All right, seriously. <sighs> Action comedy. Action comedy. Uh, so Michael Sarah is this uh, lovable loser <laughs> who uh, smokes Pineapple Express, and we know he's a loser because he does a movie podcast, and he works at Vito's Pizza instead of Taco Boy or Good Burger, and because this hot <laughs> Indian girl that he slept with eight years ago is totally into him, but he's bummed because she got hired for a business management scholarship in Atlanta, and he didn't realize he only had eight years or less to nail her again. Who keeps writing me? <laughs> is That's that part in the synopsis? Of- yeah, that is. I don't know what, the, what I'm talking about there. I'm sure I meant. I'm sure that'll pay, pay off later. Are like, you checking your mailbox while you're reading the synopsis? No, but someone's like writing. Hey, man, Skype. You on Skype? I'm on Skype. I'm typing to you. Okay, now you type something. Okay, now I'm gonna. Re- oh, you doing a podcast? Oh, what's it about? Okay. And by the way, that's me talking to myself, just like. <laughs> I was. Okay, so getting laid when you're baked is complicated, even though you only get baked when you're driving 80 miles an hour through intersections on your last job of the day. And also, instead of having sex with the girl, you're hanging out with her twin brother and watching Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, because 3 and 4 are the ones where Pesci's somehow an honorary cop or something, even though he was set up as a two-bit chiseler. Kind of like how Bobcat Goldthwait went from being the head of the punker mafia in Police Academy 2, but then in the third one, he's like school superintendent which was like the Upton Sinclair Lewis tipping point of movies that transformed the face of California higher education back in the 80s. Also, wasn't Danny Glover retiring at the beginning of the first Lethal Weapon? And didn't Rocky Balboa get brain damage from the Russian guy in the fourth one? Or did he just bribe the doctor to tell Adrian he had brain damage so she'd get off his ass about the rain gutters? There's so much more to read of this fucking thing. All right. I mean, I will now continue on the Internet talking. Uh, so Kenny fucking Powers is uh, Fred Ward's son, and Fred Ward was in the Marines where he received his training in Chechnya and Afghanistan <laughs> about uh, how to buy lottery tickets in Michigan. And he saved 500 gooks from the krauts and the shit, although he also refers to his trip to 7-Eleven to buy his lottery ticket as the shit, which makes some of his anecdotes about unrelated digestive misadventures confusing. <laughs> So he upbraids Kenny fucking Powers by saying, Hi, son, cold cuts are on sale at Vons through Tuesday night for twelve fifty nine. And then Kenny Powers' sidekick goes, That's what she said. And Kenny Powers goes, If only my dad would die faster. He hates my guts, but I'm pretty sure he'd leave me everything instead of the widows of the rest of the guys in his unit that he was buying lottery tickets with that night. And Fred Ward goes, I'm um, right here. I can hear you. And the sidekick cleaning the pool goes, That's what she said. And Kenny Powers goes, that's it. I'll ask a stripper if she knows an assassin who will kill my dad for 100 Gs, and we'll get a stooge to rob a bank for us to pay off the assassin by calling in a food order. You know how to make a time bomb, right? And the sidekick goes, that's what she said. And Fred Ward goes, good luck with that, son. So they trick Michael Sarah by lowering his suspicions at the door with gorilla masks and guns and tackling him, then by holding a handkerchief at the camera lens and the cinematographer doing a slow dissolve to the work print of the movie during post-production. Then Michael Sarah woozily wakes up and goes, why am I? And the sidekick goes, that's what she said. And there's a teddy bear with a bomb strapped to it. And Michael Sarah has a bomb strapped to himself, too. And Kenny fucking Powers goes and looks at their monkey masks and goes, I thought Tom didn't want to see Planet of the Apes because theology graduates think evolution is a sin, according to Leviticus 69.69. That was like his thesis, probably. (laughs) 
And Kenny Powers goes, you think Tom's feces is bad. You're going to rob a bank in 10 hours or this will happen to you. And he hits a garage door opener and the bear blows up. And Michael Sarah's all, all right, I'll do it. And Kenny Powers goes, uh, actually, I was talking to the bear. I guess I hooked up yours and his wrong. But okay. And the sidekick goes, that's what she said. And Michael Sarah goes, um, quick question, why would it take me 10 hours to rob just one bank? And Kenny Powers raises the box and goes, quit asking for it or I'll blow you like chrome off a garden hose. And they all look at the sidekick, but he doesn't say anything. <laughs> and Kenny Powers says, don't even think about going to the cops or else I'll blow you up. Then they'll arrest you for littering. And he's all, okay, but can I get my Indian friend to join me? He teaches texting to kindergartners. I banged his sister eight years ago. If we run into cops, they may not be as inclined to shoot first if I'm robbing places and waving guns around in the company of a hysterical brown-skinned young male. And Kenny Powers, it's all, God damn it! now we have only nine hours left. Wait, why is this movie called 30 Minutes or Less? And Michael Sarah goes, Also, I want to talk to my ex-friend's twin sister on a roof, but it won't be conspicuous. She works at the bank, which is across the street from the pizza place, and I also need to stop off there and tell my boss I'm quitting and give him the finger so my Indian friend doesn't know I'm saying goodbye to his sister on the roof, which would make things awkward between us, as opposed to just the bank robbery. And the sidekick's all, like in RL, isn't it just $3 off at 30 minutes and free at 45 minutes? Or did they change it? And Kenny Powers is all, also, I think it's fewer, not less, and reruns of old adventures of older Christine, and non-adventures without ghosts, and America has talent. And Michael Sarah goes, no, it doesn't, except for those two twins on the gong show who ate the bananas, and they look at the sidekick, but he doesn't say anything again. So Michael Sarah, see, nothing is now running gag. Good. So Michael Sarah stops by the school, interrupting the child acting class, and tells Dominic Cooper... Hey, sorry we ruined each other's lives, but I'm turning over a new leaf. Come rob a bank with me. And Dominic Cooper's all, okay, but promise me you'll cut down on references to how much you sexually disappointed my sister eight years ago. Not everything's funny when you're running into the ground over and over, and the sidekick comes down on a grapnel. Doesn't say anything. So the bank's closed because it's Sunday, so they go and rob a paintball store. And the first briefcase blows up blue paint, and Michael Sarah's all, fuck, if only I lived in a country with blue currency. This backfire would have uh, front-watered. And the paintball store teller goes, I'm sorry, sir, but blue paint's our store policy. Also, you're our two millionth customer, so you can just have the money. You don't need to rob us. And he's all, shut up. Uh, and she goes, Stacy. And he's all, Stacy, you think this bomb strapped to me is a game? Well, that's just your opinion, man. Does game have a time limit and explosions and co-op and hot girls just jackhammered awkwardly into the background as window dressing and bullshit cutscenes about nothing? About reactor terminals and cores? Games are art, Ebert caved. This time, please put the blue paint bomb in this garbage bag with new money in it, and also don't set it to go off till the end of the movie, even though various characters are going to be pawing through it all day without triggering it. And she goes, sir, making time bombs is skilled labor. I'm just a bank teller. Plausibility is an essential seasoner for carefully orchestrated mayhem, even ones with a farcical tone and casually postmodernist narrative structure. And the sidekick goes, that's what she said. And everyone agrees that the woman said the words she just said. So some cars crash, cops run away, fruit carts overturn in slow-mo for the three-by-three later. Three-by-three later. An old man in a tool shed looks comically bewildered. Cowboys switch bodies with aliens. Tom talks about how much better it was than he thought. 
Johnny Depp asked Disney, how much money do I need to make you people? And why is he called the Lone Ranger if I'm a sidekick? And 50 CG apes take over the whole planet, even though only one of them's smart. But Tom says the science is sound. And Fred Ward outwits an assassin with a pin gun, which are these things that tailors use when they don't want to get up. And Michael Sarah outwits Kenny Powers by surreptitiously putting a bomb in an unlocked van and resetting the timer while people are shooting at him, but waiting until the dude's pointing a gun at him and they're both driving side-by-side side to activate the bomb because two vehicles driving side-by-side side slowly is the payoff for a set about how awesome a stunt driver he is. And he and the sister, Dominic Cooper, driving away from the movie. And Dominic Cooper goes, kind of off-topic and inappropriate, but my favorite movie ending of all time was Volcano, where the ash made everybody's faces white and taught us the lava cures racism, which is why there wasn't any in the world after Krakatoa, and then he stops talking for 29 minutes and 59 seconds, and he clears his throat and opens the bag with the dollar sign on it. Blam! The paint bomb inside turns them all blue, and as they all comically asphyxiate, Michael Sarah goes, I bet this is how seeing Smurfs in 3D feels. The end. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you acquitted yourself admirably. I'm almost glad that I saw this. No, I'm almost glad I saw the movie now. I had two weeks off, and it felt good to sleep in. Kelly Wan, front water. Nice and ah, done. Ah, I just throw them away like they're nothing. Pearls <laughs> down the well. <laughs> Kelly Wan, did you stay through the credits, by the way? No. Oh, what I miss? All right. Dingus, you want to tell us <laughs> what you miss? What? Bullshit. Yep. There's absolutely a fair... First of all, we find out Fred Ward didn't die. I was going to say, you know how Zombieland, like none of the characters, it's the first zombie movie where none of the characters gets bitten or dies, except for Bill Murray. And this is like the first crime caper where no one for sure dies. So you're like underscoring that. What are you talking about? Michael Pena gets pretty cooked. No, but we don't see him die. Maybe he's just badly burned. <laughs> Will Ferrell. Dingus, why don't you tell Kelly Wan what he missed after the credits were over? Uh, they find uh, Meow Meow in a tanning bed. <laughs> There's a commercial for, even though Danny McBride's character doesn't get the money, for, for some reason the movie imagines that he actually opens his tanning salon. And there's a long, tedious, unfunny, which means it's in keeping with the rest of the movie, commercial for his tanning salon slash sex parlor business. What? Yep. It's Wait, does he get the money, though? Well, he gets the money from his father, clearly, because his father... Who doesn't die? Yeah, he's in a wheelchair. Oh, into business. That's funny. And uh, and it's just porn stars standing around him with uh, laser beams shooting out of there. What? (laughs) So they do the sniper thing again? It's like a callback to the sniper thing. Ah, very good. So, by the way, I don't want to spoil anything. Mm. Maybe let's go around the table. I'm sure some of you guys might have liked this. Kelly Wan, let's play Did Dingus Like It? Well, he already said he didn't like it. We can play it. If you <laughs> okay, want. Kelly Wan, let's play. Did I like it? You already said you didn't like it. We can oh. play it if you want. Okay, Kelly let's Wan, play. Let's... Hey, Tom, let's play. Did Kelly Wan like? Yeah, it? yeah. What do you think, Diggis? Did Kelly Wan like? Did he already say he didn't like it though? No, he, he just did a synopsis, which ah, you can never tell. There right. was, uh, there were marijuana references. I think that might have uh, endured uh, Kelly Wan to it. I was also a pizza delivery driver. Ah, time. so he related to it. Yeah. Could and you drive like Jesse Eisenberg could drive that Stang? Yeah. <laughs> but I noticed he never succeeded at any of his jobs. Like, he, the pizza never gets there on time. He also couldn't pull off that reverse move. Oh, I guess it's because he was in the Datsun, though. Right. Yeah. So that explains he is, that. 
No, he was in the Sting. No, wait, the stolen car. Right, because it's yeah. dots. But he's acting like, oh, dude, this is the greatest thing I've ever driven, isn't he? Like a lot of stick <laughs> comedy. It almost made me wonder if it was a period piece. <laughs> well, the thing, the real, the real life event that sparked this action comedy was uh, 2003 incident in Pennsylvania or something. Well, I think they remember that there was something where. A third and in that version, right? Right. Well, go on. Tell me what you think the real, the real, the real version was, and then we'll go over the differences. We well, you know. I vaguely the- remember something. Uh, you know what? I don't. I thought it was in Australia. It was in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Australia. Oh, good point. And I, it happens in Australia, but when it happens there, it's not news. When it happens in America, it's like a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in Australia, that's just called you know Thursday. Yeah, it's called Thursday. <laughs> ah, you just fuck. <laughs> Damn, the Quakecons forged you new. Uh, so, Kelly, what is the what was the real life event? Because I think I thought it was odd that they mentioned Hurt Locker dismissively, and then they right. go on to talk about Point Break. But you know, there's a there's a, yeah. a really good scene in Hurt Locker with a, a bomb vest. It, uh, it's sort of the breaking point for some of the characters. Uh, so, but what was the real life event that inspired this this wonderful action comedy? See, I've seen her locker, but not Point Break. So to me, I felt like I wasn't target audience. But anyway, uh, in the real life, he was part of the plot, like he wasn't an unwilling victim. And then ah. he's like, I have a bomb, uh, people. And he thought it was fake, but his partners had double-crossed him. And so the second police went towards him, it blew him up. Which oh, wow. To me, is funny. I mean, if I die that funnily, totally laugh at me. I, I welcome your Okay, score. okay, good. Because that's pretty fucking funny. I mean, in, in a way... It's well, then what happened that the movie wasn't funny? No, it was awesome. I oh, loved you this. loved it. Okay, you loved it. Well, I don't know if maybe love's too strong. But I laughed a lot. I laughed more than in uh, Horrible Bosses. Really? Okay. You wait, liked wait. The, the one you liked? You I did liked not. Some, um, what's the dumb comedy where you're like, dude, no, this is about relationships, man. The change-up? Well, okay, so you haven't seen that, but... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a piffle, but I don't know. It got, you know what it was? It's because Your Highness kind of bummed me out, Danny McBride wise, mm-hmm. and this was more kind of Pineapple Expressy, not quite as fluid. But Danny McBride was at least playing Danny McBride more, and it wasn't as Danny McBride light, and it had that other dude. Okay, Nick Swardson. See, so you guys don't like uh, Eastbound and Down. No, right. good lord! I love Eastbound and Down, and that was—I uh, yeah, almost wait. I really did like Nick Swardson, but he was basically reprising Steve yeah. Little's character in Eastbound and Down, and I, I love Steve Little. That guy's fantastic in Eastbound and Down. What's um, the awesome wrestling movie with Danny McBride? You guys are always well. There's—it's not a wrestling movie. It's a—it's a karate movie, a uh, Foot Fist Way. <laughs> yeah, Foot Fist um, Way. And I'm not sure that he has a Steve Little in that movie. He's got a bunch of kids. That are with him, and Ben Best, who's one of the writers who works with him, and uh, David Gordon Green is in it, but not as like a sidekick. He's basically just a tyrant over a bunch of kids who hang out with him in Foot Fist Way. Um, but I love Eastbound and Down, and that was kind of weird watching Thirty Minutes and Less, just seeing it almost like you said, Kenny Powers is almost like that that whole relationship between Kenny Powers and Stevie was just kind of lifted up and put in another movie, uh. and let's pretend that they're that they're thugs. Uh, you know, it just made me think of how awesome he's pounding down is, and and wishing I was watching that instead. Well, it's it's this is eighty minutes out of your life. 
But you saw three fucking movies today. So by then you're like, oh, man, this isn't as funny as Planet of the Apes. <laughs> this was not one of them. I saw this uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, by itself? And no, by and I went, Dingus and I actually went to see 30 Minutes or Less, and then afterwards we were just like, you know what? See, you I, guys ruin comedies for each other. Every time you see comedies no, together, no. you always hate it. Always. That's, that's not true. So here's the thing. Dingus, Kelly Wan, you talk about laughing a lot. I laughed a lot, too. Like, I laugh even at bad movies. Uh, by the way, my audience in Final Destination 5, they loved it. They were with it. I laughed a lot. Uh, you know, Final Destination 5 is so terrible, it's funny. It's one of those kind of things. Uh, so laughing at a movie, for me, isn't a gauge of whether or not it's any good. I'm perfectly capable of laughing at horrible movies. So I did laugh at 30 Minutes or Less. And, and I heard See, Dingus it, laughing at some of it, too. That, to me, means you guys have lost the argument. Because if I laugh even during a bad movie, I go, well, it's not as bad as I thought, obviously. Cause All right. No, I can, I can laugh plenty and still think that the people that are making me laugh are bad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even like, even like, you know, I even want to like them. I really wanted to like, uh, Aziz Ansari and, um, and Nick Swartzen because I've heard them on so many podcasts and I like the guys. Uh, and they made me laugh, but that doesn't mean I thought they were any good in the movie. So, Dingus, Kelly uh, Wan and I talked about the, uh, Danny McBride and Nick Swartzen couple. Tell us, what did you think of the main pair of actors, Jesse Eisenberg and Aziz Ansari? How did, how did that work for you, Dingus? Well, what, for me, what was so painful was that I just felt like Jesse Eisenberg was just so desperately trying to keep this movie afloat. Yep. Yep. And he was the only one competent. Um, and he's just with a, in a sea of amateurs. Yeah. And, and it just felt like, uh, Ruben Fleischer has been hanging out with a bunch of comedians and he threw them into his movie and he thought maybe they could do it. But they're amateurs. They can't act as well as Jesse Eisenberg can. And you just feel this increasing load of desperation that Jesse Eisenberg is, is just, sweating he's just sweating this desperation out as he tries to keep the movie afloat and he can't do it on his own because these other guys can't act next to him and danny mcbride which retroactively made me hate your highness which i liked uh really now you hate your highness well it just made me feel like you know he's just doing the same shtick he's doing his danny mcbride shtick over and over again and I'm really pleased on a personal level that he's getting paid and he's making money. And, uh, you know, just on a personal level, I'm, I'm glad the guy's making a living. But but I, I wish he'd go back to doing footless way things. But but beyond that, it just feels like Jesse Eisenberg is a professional. He knows what the hell he's doing. But he can't do it all on his own. But he's too he's too young an actor to to be able to say, oh, fuck this. It, and he's just desperate, and it's just... <laughs> he's not reached that Nicolas Cage stage yet. <laughs> exactly. He hasn't. And he's just surrounded by amateurs, and I felt so bad. And I just wish Ruben Fleischer, after doing Zombieland, would have said, you know, Jesse's ready to carry a movie on his own. Let's do this thing and let him be the lead. We're not even going to have the um, the uh, the goofball subplot. We're just going to do this thing, and we're going to make it surreal, and we're going to go off and do it, and he's going to be our lead. But they didn't, and instead he was just floundering when everybody else was drowning. It was just awful. I was just so keenly aware during that rooftop scene how much better the movie could have worked if it had just focused on him and if it had let him try to carry it, rather than trying to play as an ensemble comedic piece with a bit transplanted out of Eastbound and Down and with the relationship with Aziz Ansari. I just thought every time... I. 
I mean, Aziz Ansari, I've seen him in other stuff in small parts, and, you know, I guess he can be funny, but because the movie so much wanted us to invest in their relationship and their chemistry, and because I felt they didn't have any, and because Aziz Ansari, I just thought was so out of his element and just, just grating, I really came away from the movie just not liking the guy on a weird, almost personal level. It was like that guy in Horrible Bosses from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I hated that guy by the time that movie was over, and I kind of felt that way about Aziz Ansari after 30 minutes or less. I see you always hate the swarthy sidekick character. That's because you're a racist. Charlie Day is so swarthy. Yeah, I don't uh, <laughs> swarthy. Where did you get that I, from? I felt the same way, and I, and I went away thinking if, if only the twin he would have been paired with would have been the sister, and the twin that was captured and kidnapped had been... <laughs> Uh, the uh, had been Chet, and we we could have seen some sort of development of that of the relationship between the the sister and Jesse Eisenberg, who could both act. Um, you know, I you know I like that guy. I like Aziz, but he's just he can't do it. Yeah. He's just he and your word grading is perfect. He's just when when he can't do it, he he resorts to yelling or yeah. just being a grading. And oh, man, they. And as much as I like Nick Swartzen too, I really like him a lot, and he's funny and he makes me laugh. But he, he just looks like an amateur next to the other guys. It just doesn't work. Uh, all right, I'm going to defend the movie some more. Okay, can uh, I want a unredeemed characters? Very rare in any comedies these fucking days. So you <laughs> got to give it that. And also, the source of their rapport is that they fucked each other over repeatedly, which to me is funny, and it was funny McGruber too. Jingus Dingus's favorite movie. But like that's what they, Oh, no one else is friends with me. Come on, let's rob the bank together. You know, I, I just don't find it funny when he says over and over again the the joke is your mom fucked the lifeguard. I thought that was cool. <laughs> and I I ruined your parents' marriage, and that's the source of comedy. <laughs> Why not? Is it because it's not funny and they don't oh. make it funny. It it it's not I just want to say, I want to say, hold on, I want to say right now that Dingus saying it is funnier than I know. the movie was this what, with it. That's what I was saying about how early you're making Final Destination sound awesome by going, yo, it's so stupid it is. This is what Dingus does. He makes terrible lines sound brilliant. Yeah, keep, Dingus, keep, do more lines. Do more lines, Dingus. Hate it more. Dingus, tell us about more stuff that was yeah, I think, the movie. Because when you I think, say it, I, th- I think Dingus... Tom's opinion me. on the needle starts wavering. Into the- <laughs> it's not making me like the movie. It's just making me want to hear Dingus talk about bad movies more often. I like when Dingus gets upset, too. It's fun. <laughs> it's like a rousing a little. Like, oh, fire. Fiery. Uh, I, I do want to defend Nick Swartzen, though, just as far as fitting, as far as if you look at Danny McBride's style of comedy, that, that whole, I mean, he does one thing and he does it very well and it gets dropped into a lot of different movies, whether it's uh, Due Date or whether it's uh, Your Highness or Foot Fist Way or 30 Minutes or Less. You know, he does his thing and he does it well. And I thought he played very well, even though it wasn't anywhere near up to the standards of Jesse Eisenberg as a guy with a bomb strapped to his chest. I thought he and Nick Swartzen did very well sort of playing off each other. There, there's, a, there's a couple of just great funny moments you know, where uh, I don't even remember the joke, but it's where Danny McBride is talking about how he wants him to re- work the front desk of the tanning parlor. And if a customer comes in and asks for a blowjob, then you have to. And Nick Swartzen immediately comes in with, I have to blow him? Like, yeah. I loved that moment. I loved He that. wants to talk to me? 
on the phone when he's right. calling the hospital. Exactly. exactly. And I also liked what he goes, I'm going to give you another awesome, another throwaway is, uh, it, he comes out late with the girl towards the end and he just goes, she knocked over my soda. That's the kind of stuff that reminds me of the thing from Hudson Hawk, you made it come up my nose, where, where you've got a dumb sidekick who just does some funny throwaway lines. And I really liked Nick Swartzen doing that. Uh, but I, I agree. Too. But I feel like it just, you know, like the pool scene, you know, where did these leaves come from where they're standing there? And it just feels like Ruben Fleischer has found a way to to shoot an infinity pool with a camera on the pool edge. And he wants to let it go on and on and on and on when that scene should take 30 seconds. But see, Ding, it's the metaphor there. Mm. They're in deep water. Oh, wait, that's pretty good. Because the leaves represent the complexities of the uh, labyrinth they've unveiled Pandora like. You unveil a labyrinth? Is that... Wait. <laughs> well, because the Minotaur had the string, and that you make veils out of thread, and the sewing machine. Uh, well, Dingus is the uh, your highness apologist Minotaur thing. <laughs> you should be backing me up on this. Did you guys know there's a, a movie with Tom Hardy called Minotaur? What? Hmm. There is. I don't know if you guys are Tom Hardy fans like like I am, but there's a there's a, a Minotaur horror movie about uh, Tom Hardy. It's a historical horror movie fighting a Minotaur. Just so you know, Are, would you do would you do a female Minotaur? Well, wow. yeah, I don't. That's, I wish I'd had the Britney Spears queued up for that. Isn't a female? Isn't a Minotaur by default a dude? Like I don't think a cow can be a Minotaur. I think no, a that would be. A, Bull and a man. A bull and a man is a minotaur. A female I don't know what... minotaur is a dryad, I think, or a centaur. The femator. Right. Like a female. Tom, Tom was a quake con. He can tell us who was what. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, so there you go. Uh, I, I am dialogue-centric. It's all I fucking notice in movies. So if something – it's the only – if I hear funny lines, I have to like the movie. Like if it looks like shit and the acting's terrible. And Dingus notes weather and stuff. Like you guys are – Way more uh, versatile as critics. I'm like, all right. What's what's your favorite funny line from this movie? Because I have one favorite funny line. I can't say my funny favorite line because I I would be uncomfortable saying it in public. So I want Kelly to say it for me. Wait, what? What what does I don't know your what does Fred Ward say when he walks in on Nick Swardson and and Danny McBride watching the Friday the Thirteenth movie? Oh, you guys, are you guys blowing each other? A little more explicit than And he's all, no, we're looking at 3D titties. Like, I don't know why I enunciated that like John Houseman. What are you two? What are you two fuckers? Faggots fuckering. Oh, that's why you don't want yeah. to say it. I mean, it, it, was just, it was just so grossly inappropriate, but, you know, but the, the idea is he's like an old it. racist Marine. Uh, right. I just, I laughed at that. I thought it, that was really funny. It was this great combination of pop culture and commentary on 3D. And, and it was like, oh, look, there's Fred Ward. Uh, and I, you know what? That kind of coarse humor makes me laugh. So that was my favorite line. Kelly, I like the, uh, oh, uh, wait, what was the last line? The, the Fred Ward line? No. I forget how the movie ended. Now. The last line was this. You ready for this? Sandra! Uh, so that was a Streetcar Named Desire reference? Or On the Waterfront? Ah, very film. good. Very good. Yeah, that's Get it? See what Ruben Fleischer... See? You didn't appreciate that because you're not a true film buff. Good point. Like me and Roger Ebert. <laughs> and Dingus. And <laughs> Sid Meier. 
and jumper. Uh, so, Dingus, you must have a favorite line. What line worked for you? Uh, my favorite line is uh, Jesse Eisenberg just getting to relax and be Jesse Eisenberg, and it's just it's it's a little throwaway line. It's just uh, yeah, just knock all that shit down. God, that was so good. That really was so good. I, and we both appreciated that too. I don't. Why was that line so good, Dingus? Because it's it, it's finally a chance for him to relax, and it's it's just a comment on what's going on. And maybe I don't know, you know, it's just a relaxed line. You say oh, wait, I, I I think it's relaxed because it's authentic, it's real. And I don't know, it's relaxed because he's tense. He wants to get in there. He's got the right. bomb on him, but it's real. It's real. a genuine line where you know there's got to be some business where Aziz Ansari is crawling through a window and he's knocking the stuff over. And that just seems like a I don't know if it was improved if it was in the script, but just Jesse Eisenberg, it just seemed like a real authentic thing that this nervous guy who wants to get this done with would say at the moment. And it just, it, it felt more real than anything else in the movie in a weird way. <laughs> but it's not a realistic movie. It was based on a horrible tragedy. You say it's not a realistic movie, Kelly Wan, but it, it, it's definitely trying to play from that angle, like the, the banter and the pop culture references. And I love the fact that it was set in Michigan, uh, you know, that it, there are references to Grand Rapids. I mean, this was like, you know, what if real people were in this outrageous situation, I, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it, what it's striving for, because it's got this this weird um, hot fuzz thing that happens. And uh, there, there's this... Um, it's constantly making references to other movies, and I think there's a musical reference to Lethal Weapon um, because the music sounds like Michael Kamen's score for Lethal. Uh, Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton both did the score for Lethal Weapon. It sounds like it's riffing on that, and so it constantly made me think of Hot Fuzz, and then it made me think: Is this movie trying to be? Uh, is is it trying to do a take on these movies, or is it trying to be a real movie? So I, know I don't know from Beverly Hills Cop, and that's like how he was doing Ghostbusters is in Zombieland. So, well, Ke- Kelly, one, I mean, you're you're right, Dingus. Like when I think about the early driving scene, you know, that sort of like he's a crazy crack driver and he's skidding through the neighborhoods and zipping past children in these idyllic homes, and like that was this very stylized reality kind of scene as well, where where that is like a very hot fuzzy kind of deal, wasn't it? And he wants to kill himself because the South Africans killed his woman, but he doesn't find that out till the second movie. And they drown the other chick. You've just jumped over to Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I liked it when uh, he goes, or the friend goes, oh, you're drinking a beer at 10 on a Saturday? And he goes, it's full fridge. Really? Really, Kelly Wand? That's good. <laughs> that, now we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. So I, so was there anything, though, that you guys really liked or that you learned from this movie? Like something that you... you oh, and I also liked... From? Yeah? Right. I, I liked... Uh, what's the friend's name you like? The sidekick guy? John Swartzman? Nick Swartzman. Nick Swartzman. Nick, Nick Swartzman. When he does his kicks. Oh, that was good. That was a good line God, of dialogue. Really? Really, Kelly Wand? That's what you... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you also like the that's what she said, the discussion of that's what she said? Mm, It kind of reminded me of when in Rome in Anchorman, like he's learning how to use a phrase. But did that character die after the credits? The flamethrower guy? We do not see. And that's another thing. I felt awful for poor Michael Pena. I mean, that guy. Oh, oh, that was just poor guy. He was he was good. And he's just he's in a lot of bad movies where he's worthy. Yeah. Wait, that's the guy from The Wire, right? Your favorite show? I don't. He was he in. Wire? He was in Homicide. He was in The Shield. He was in Crash. I mean, he's he's always doing 
good stuff in crappy movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt really, really bad for him and, and for that, that girl playing Juicy, whoever, whoever she was. Uh, you know, they, they were trying to, to, to do something. And it just, just uh. well, yeah, here's what yeah. I here's what I learned from this movie. Oh. Here's what this movie made taught me, basically, that I didn't really know before. I really want to see, and, and this is just kind of reiterating what you said, Dingus. I would really like to see Jesse Eisenberg in an actual thriller. Like a, a sort of a Hitchcockian thing, the sort of role that, that Johnny Depp would normally get, and then he would stand out weirdly because he's such a good-looking guy. But I would like to see Jesse Eisenberg do something like that, like an everyman Cary Grant kind of character as a central role in, in a thriller like this. So that's what I came away from. You know, I, I love Jesse Eisenberg from Squid and the Whale. I thought he was great in the Facebook movie. Uh, Zombieland, he was really good paired with Woody Harrelson. But I want to see him anchor a movie, a thriller specifically, like a source code kind of thing, uh, where it's all about him. Uh, so that's like what Taylor Lautner in the one where he plays a replicant that's coming up or whatever. I actually like did that. watch the trailer for that. I have no idea who <sighs> Taylor Lautner is. But uh, yes, exactly, Kelly Wand, like that kind of thing. Uh, he's so the wax. Is, he's cross-eyed werewolf from. Uh, oh, he's a Twilight guy. Okay, well that's why I don't know who he is. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I only watch. <laughs> I only go to QuakeCon. Because what did you learn from Thirty Minutes or Less? Um, I learned that um, if you do a framing device like the rules from Zombieland and it works, and something like Step One happens in the next movie you do, you should probably go with it. Into a framing device instead of having Danny McBride in it. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Oh, that's going to that's gonna come in handy a lot, I predict, <laughs> on future Disney cruises. Hmm. Kelly, one, did you learn anything from 30 Minutes or Less? Yeah, I didn't think I would. I'm glad you asked, though, because um, I learned how you just got to sort of talk things out, even if. Because uh, I remember how awkward things got between you and me on board game night the week after you slept with my grandpa the first couple times. <laughs> That's what you learned from the movie? Yeah. Hope this, and maybe people can learn from my saying that. You know, I'm just spreading that vibe and that cheer. And I, I slept with your grandpa. Well, just that one weekend, but it was multiple times. But I mean, you know. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, feet of What the fuck? What the fuck? Wait, just to clarify something, it was consensual. It wasn't rape. I mean, that guy can't really run. All right, yeah, how about no, that? So there this, we go. That was, yeah, but she said. <laughs> it's cool to date like... outside your target age demographic. What? Oh. We still recording? Let, let's do a three by three. Uh, Dingus, what is our three by three this week? Or no, no, it's Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan, I'm sorry. Uh, what is our three by three this week? Wait, can he be trusted? I don't think he can. He can. Mm. Yeah, what? I'm not like a. I'm a, not a damn dirty ape made out of CG. Uh, uh, oh God, he's talking. Oh, uh, three best uses of slow motion <laughs> in a movie, not uh, in RL, and or not. No fucking space stuff. It has to be on Earth. I forgot well, you, to can't, you can't say that now no, because no. we might have things out of... Uh, Use gravitation as a crutch, sir. Mm. And am. 
Kelowan, zero G and slow mo are not the same thing. Oh, okay, Armageddon. Uh, gotcha. Uh, we're starting with Dingus because Dingus is introducing next week's three by three. Dingus, what is your number three best use of slow mo in a movie? Did you guys hate this topic, by the way? That's always fun to hear about. Like, oh, I hated it mildly. Yeah. Dingus, did you hate it? No, I. I uh, it, it was easy, and I liked it. It helps that most movies are mostly in slow motion. Generally, it was easy, and I liked it. Hmm. Oh, that's what Dingus just said. Thank you. <laughs> See, <laughs> Tom didn't get that because he's not edgy. I didn't, and I don't watch a lot of The Office. Uh, QuakeCon, Disney Cruise, I don't know which one I would want to kill myself at sooner. Oh, God, it's so tough. Because <laughs> the Disney Cruise, you can meet. Never mind. Go on. No, you Mickey can't. Mouse. You can no. meet Mickey Mouse, yeah. So, Dingus, what is your number three? You liked the topic. Uh, Kelly, and I'll talk about whether or not I liked it in just a minute. Uh, but, Dingus, starting with you, what did you pick for your number three? All right, my number three, um, I had a hard time because... The one I originally came up with is just a gag, and I decided to ditch it for something that's better, but which mm. both of you hated. Mm. Midnight no, Run. There goes Dingus. Dingus is going to the prequels. Ugh. No, I liked the original set of three prequels before the prequels. <laughs> the prequel, the sequel prequels were all right. The prequels. Dingus thoughts. Um, here's, here's a quote from the movie The Two of You Hated. That I really, really loved. There was it down. And has a great, great sequence of slow-mo and great use of slow-mo all the way through. And here's the quote from the movie you hated. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. Oh, yeah. You hated Inception? I didn't hate it. Okay. Not like Dingus hates uh, comedy. (laughs) Unless it's got Highness in the title for some reason. So, Dingus, you love that scene of the van taking forever to fall off the bridge. Oh, oh that's I, so, I so love that. Uh, well, there's two sequences with the van. There's the van rolling down the embankment. Uh, I just love the way this movie is edited. And for for all of these choices, I, I'm going to have to talk about the editors. Because even though, you know, slow motion is a um, – is is essentially speeding up the can or, you know, adding frames. You know, I'm going to give the editors credit. And, and I couldn't believe that Lee Smith, who edited this movie, wasn't, wasn't recognized for that, um, when, uh, Oscars came around. So, because I think this movie is exquisitely edited. And this, this these two sequences, the sequence of the, the van rolling down the hill and then the van going off the bridge, um, where it splices the different time time levels in and it uses slow motion in order to uh, give you a sense of what time we're dealing with. Uh, I just love the way the, the, the folks in the van and the way, um, the way he looks as he's doing the fight in the hallway. And as he's going into the hotel room, I, I think that slow motion is used beautifully in, in inception. Uh, things. Did you know that Tom Hardy is in a horror movie about a minotaur? Uh, I think you said it was about a female Minotaur. What's it called? Feminator. Yeah. It's called Minotaur. Uh, yeah. Hey, you uh, know who I'd, I'd feel bad for listening to Dingus just now is the driver of the van in that scene who gets no credit for his part. Uh, I almost used started. his quote, but I knew Tom would say, that's not a quote. What was it, his quote? What he, what he says after, after going down the embankment is he goes, did you see that? And he turns around and they're all asleep. 
terrible quote. <laughs> uh, Dingus, can you give us a little bit of the music from Inception? How does the soundtrack go? Uh, it goes uh. like this. That's what it is. You didn't do that uh, part. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I never dream in slow motion. That movie's bullshit. Also, if it's, we dream in black and white... But everything else is fine. Those are the D- only two. Dingus rebuttal. Uh. <laughs> okay, very good. Well put. Also, an avatar. The thermals from those floating islands. Okay. Uh, my number three is. Uh, you know what? I, I looked for this scene, and I hope I'm not misremembering it. I don't think it's freeze frame. I think it's extreme slow mo. It's from a bad movie. I don't care for the movie, but I love the opening and this movie actually made a previous three by three i think dingus picked it for either best fight scene or a movie you can stop watching after the first scene you know what maybe i picked it i don't know but uh the opening of duplicity has paul giamatti and tom wilkinson as these corporate Mm. executives and they're coming together for like a meeting and it turns into a brawl and they just start fighting each other and it's extreme slow-mo with these tight shots uh, on their faces of just how angry they are and they're they're just ungainly and rolling around and having you know it's like it's like CEOs having a brawl they they're not graceful normally slow motion is used to show the poetry of violence or extreme grace or, or whatever and here it's used to show this out of control ungainly anger uh, and I love that bit of duplicity. Don't care for the rest of the movie, but just watching these two actors uh, in slow motion grappling with each other, being really mad. Uh, Dingus, did you pick that as a three by three for something? Yeah, it was a, it was a favorite fight because I, I love the way that fight comes together. And it is. It's extreme slow mo, right? They're not freeze frames. No, no, it's extreme slow mo. You're absolutely right. And and one of the things that I was wrestling with as I did this is I was stacking up a lot of opening credits things, but that's a good one. Yeah. Now, how did you feel about the topic altogether? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I don't uh, – I, I thought of a lot of runners-up, but I mo- mostly don't care for slow-mo because I, I think slow-mo is often a crutch. Yes. And I want to I give you an example. Uh, I wasn't crazy. Attack the Block is pretty decent. You know, it's okay. Um, but there's a scene in Attack the Block that is actually a slow-mo sequence – that it feels like the movie finally is appreciating, hey, we've got a really appealing lead, we've got a kind of a cool set piece, and we've got these weird alien designs that we're going to do. So to finally let you get a look at what we've been showing just real fast and not very well lit and throwaway shots, we're finally going to slow everything down so you can admire what you've been looking at with uh. less precise camera work. And slow-mo often feels like a cheat that way. You know, if you can't find some way to present what you're doing at normal speed in, in a way to appreciate the composition and the flow of it and the action, uh, it just feels like, you know, it let's cheat and have a slow-mo scene. And I like that scene in Attack the Block, but I feel if the movie had been shot better, they wouldn't need to do that. I um, totally agree with you, and it's what annoyed me so much about 300, because it's like slow-mo and CG. Like, look how awesome this fucking CG Well, is. now here's the thing, is I like Zack Snyder's trademark slow-mo tracking sequence down a long shot, like the scene from 300, the fight scene in Watchmen. I, I like those. Um, how is that not a crutch, though? Uh, because he's, well, you know what, maybe it is. I, I feel like it's, Zack Snyder is just such a visual stylist that it's, I don't feel like he's doing his other visuals poorly. Uh, it, you know, he he like like watching uh, 
I, I feel he earns that. Like there's plenty to see in both 300 and Watchmen, but here it's sort of, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'm being hypocritical because I like uh, those scenes. <laughs> I don't, th- no, I, don't no, he, I don't think he earns it. I think he claims it. I mean, I think there's a difference there. I mean, he claims that as his visual style as much as bullet time. I mean, he says, this is what I'm doing. And I don't know that he earns it, but he claims it. And I respect that. I mean, I, I mean, there's something that is sensual and attractive about it. And, and I, I like it. You know, I don't think it's the same kind of crutch as, as a director resorting to it to, to show you something. Well, you know what, Dingus? Yeah, I'm glad you put it that way because one of the things I did for this list, because I love those two shots, and it is a trademark shot, you know, it's the camera dollying, I think it's invariably left to right, and it's just, well, you know what, I don't know if that's the case, but it's just dollying down, there tends to be some element in the foreground, he's following a fight scene as it progresses almost like a side-scrolling fighting game, almost, uh, and it's very much a trademark shot for him. So while thinking of those, I also wanted to go back and look at the fight from Sucker Punch, where Baby Doll is fighting those giant Terry Gilliam samurais, because I was like, you know what, that was before before I hated Sucker Punch. I enjoyed that scene. I remember there being slow-mo. So I want to go back and watch this. That scene with Baby Doll and those giant samurais, the slow-mo is totally a crutch. It's because they have that, that woman on, on, on wires, and they want to slow down to let us see how sort of athletic she is. But it's, it's not that trademark shot that he does. It's just him having to cheat and slow everything down so we can kind of admire the shot. Uh, and there it feels like a crutch, unlike what I feel about the scenes in 300 and Watchmen. Huh. Well, I generally agree with you. So these are like exceptions to the rule. <laughs> uh, by the way, that did not make my three by three is the that baby doll fight. That's actually an in- interesting juxtaposition to something that I normally complain about is that it's the quick cutting in a fight where you can't tell what the hell's going on and the other edge of the uh, spectrum i guess would be we're going to slow it down so far so that we can show you every single thing that's going on yeah because that's the thing is in 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 that that samurai fight she's doing like pirouettes over the bullets and stuff and i think they just want to make it so clear hey look at how we i mean it's all cg anyway uh they Mm -hmm. just it's just like, hey, we're going to slow it down so you can see, you know, the actress is actually like spinning around. She's on wires, sure, but we're moving the blade just under her legs. And, oh, look how close that was. And it just feels very gratuitous. And, yeah. Hmm. All right. So, Kelly Wand, how did you feel about this topic? Um, I'm glad I came up with it when I did, which was right after you said, so what's our topic two weeks from now? <laughs> <laughs> and did you do you like what you came up with? Kind of. Right. I don't know. Some of these. My what, theory was well, it's okay. It's just elaborating, regurgitating what you said, but it's, it's some slow motion used to anything where it would have been lamer without slow motion. Like anything in 300 ah. that you're referring to, I would say, you know what? I'd rather watch that overcranked. Wait, undercranked. Wait, cranked. I'd rather watch it cranked <laughs> <laughs> properly. <laughs> You know, that's a good way to put it, Kelly Wand. Anything that would be lamer if it wasn't in slow-mo. Right. Uh, and you know, and it's definitely not a crutch. Like, you get an effect out of it. And so I think my number one's probably the only one that really fits that. But my number three, <laughs> that's what I wanted to have. But instead, I just came up with three random things. Uh, my number three is the thing in The Untouchables with the baby carriage. Because uh, I remember reading reviews of The Untouchables, and everyone was going like, yeah. Totally rips off Eisenstein's famous steps, the baby carriage. Is oh, Eisenstein in slow mo? No, 
So it's not a ripoff, is it? And it's in black and white, and nobody's shooting at each other. It's just a baby carriage going down steps, and he's intercutting it with something else, like like uh, exorcist faces leering at you. That's not a ripoff. See, that's the thing. In Untouchables... Oh, go on. Yes, yes. I'm just curious, does Untouchables qualify as a scene that's not ruined by a baby? Yeah, but it would be better... I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's a terrible example. Well, you don't really see no, the baby. No, it's you? a great example, and that's my number two. Oh, oh snap! Well, well, good. All right. Dingus, jump in there, then. All right. Th- this one, and I'm so happy you chose this, Kelly, because I wasn't sure anybody else was going to go with me on this, uh, because of the eyes and the sign guy, dude. Yeah, uh, but but it's uh, it's Jerry Greenberg is the editor, and... Um, and I, I love the way that scene is edited because there are two specific little moments that I just that are my favorite uh, little moments, and and they are captured because it's in slow mo. It's when the, the the first little moment, it's just a little moment where uh, where Elliot Ness turns and he bumps the carriage. And you see that in slow-mo, and that's what causes the carriage to go back down. I mean, uh, you know, it's really annoying. The baby is so annoying. God, he's so but that's annoying. that's good for the scene. That's it's actually helping the scene. scene. Yeah, yeah. and Elianus goes to help uh, the woman bring the carriage up the stairs, but he's focused on everything that's going on in the train station. And when he turns, he brushes against the carriage once it gets it up to the top of the stairs, and he causes it to go back down. And it's this great little visual moment of him slowly turning and just brushing against the carriage. And the other moment is this great – one of my favorite moments in film is is Andy Garcia sliding in and tossing him the gun. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. In, all of this is beautiful in slow right. motion. It ratchets up the tension. It's gr- it's just such great filming. I, I freaking love the slow-mo in that scene. It would be worse if it wasn't in slow-mo. And it's awesome to see. And it also, too, in, like, CG, which Tom likes in 300, like you just said, it's like physical acting that's, like, has to be done in slow motion to be the most suspenseful. And also, it leads in with that with the woman pulling the baby carriage up the steps, not in slow motion, but it feels like slow motion because she takes 10 fucking hours to go up each step. And you can't really see what she looks like, but you know, by the way, it's everything's staged, like some shit's going to go down. But is the mom in on it? The world's worst grandma? <laughs> And she, it's cheesy. There's cheesiness because as he helps her step by step, I mean, it's this old baby carriage. It's rickety and it goes up the steps, kunk, kachunk. And, and she's, oh, and when he gets distracted and watches another guy coming in and another guy coming into the train station, she's like, oh, thank you, sir. Maybe I should take it from here. Oh, sir, it's okay, sir. I'll yeah. Here. She's annoying. Everyone's annoying. It's like oh, everybody's annoying. He's, right. he's distracted by waiting for assassins to come in. Yeah. And waiting for the bookkeeper to come in. And I love it's just I one of the things I love about slow motion is this almost sexual sort of sensual feel that it has to it. And that that scene, all of those things, the action coming together in the end with again with Andy Garcia sliding in on the floor to stop the baby carriage and tossing him the gun. It's just beautiful, and it feels like an indulgence. It feels like I get to watch all of this slowed down instead of having to try to catch up with it in real time. And I think it is a little bit of a crutch uh, because mm-hmm. I get to watch all of those things, but again, I like that indulgence. It's a crutch made of gold, and it's also right after I think Connery bites it, so you don't know what's going to happen. Like, there's like, oh, they killed off fucking Connery? Oh, 
these so you don't know and you don't know who Andy Garcia is at that point in his career like he's kind of the fourth guy yeah and uh, so it's like there's a sense of like, oh, they're all going to die. And, and then it's like slow motion. No, things are going to die. Slow motion always means death. Tom taught me that. Source code. <laughs> Did you guys like the slow motion in Mission to Mars also? Mm. That's uh, post. <laughs> it's weird how directors, like, they can make untouchables. And like John Carpenter, too. Like, has, doesn't make any – like, you said The Ward was unwatchable. Wasn't that you? Yeah, go ahead and see it, though, if you don't believe me. No, no, I believe you, but it's just, it's like, where's the, where's the guy who made the thing? Like, where's that energy and right. passion? Like, what's, and what's the last great De Palma movie? That's actually a good question. What is the last Although, great De Palma movie? Although, that scene is so good, it kind of ruins the rest of the movie. There's nothing else in The Untouchables. Like, if you, me- if you mention The Untouchables, you think of the baby carriage, right? Tom doesn't think of anything. Does uh, I think of you just like a what is it? Just like a wop to bring a knife to a gunfight, and oh, also uh, Robert De Niro with a baseball bat. That's pretty much what I go to. Of slow motions, how time warps move in Planet of the Apes movies. How do you know that's not my number one? Oh, I I love the whole relationship with with um, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. I love yeah. the way he he mentors him. Um, I love their their repartee, the way he brings them along. The you know everybody knows where the liquor is. You just have to know where to cross the palm. And when they're at the Canadian border, I mean, I think there's a lot to love in that movie. It's beautifully That's written. That's true. It's I think it's David Mamet. I mean, it's beautifully yeah. written movie, and it's beautifully shot. I think it's one of his, if not his, it might be his best film. I don't I don't know what else. I you know I can't think of Brian De Palma beyond Body Double, but and uh, and Mission Impossible, but. Uh, I like Body Double, and I I am I retract my comment that it makes the rest of the movie shitty. It's just like it's such a great iconic sequence that. Well, the the apocryphal story is that, and I don't know if this is true again because I use that word uh, that that they had a whole bunch of other things that they were going to do and they didn't have time, so he just like- stole the baby carriage thing and shot that on that fly, uh, which doesn't make any sense, but. But that that was that, that was the story at the time that he had, they had this huge elaborate action sequence and they couldn't afford it or they didn't have the time for it so he just grabbed the baby carriage and stole the uh, the Eisenstein thing. So it was like Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford's <laughs> diarrhea made the greatest thing ever, the greatest exactly. gunshot ever, <laughs> gun injury. Hmm. Uh, if we were using TV, I would bring up. And I can't because it's TV. Uh, there's a great, I forget which episode, but in one of the episodes of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, uh, yeah. you know, they have <laughs> interviews with Dean Lerner, the producer of the show. And it, one of them, he explains how they used, because they had to fill 22 minutes for each episode, uh, they used slow-mo in any scene that didn't involve dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the episodes were coming out eight minutes long. Right, right. <laughs> That's what he said. Very good. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt that way whenever Danny McBride was on the scene in 30 minutes or less, that they were just filling it. Spoiler. Oh. oh. <laughs> See, and the title refers to fast motion. Although the opening shot of 30 minutes or less, never mind. I'll save it for my number watch. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two uh, is... It's it's part of the movie at large, but I, one of the things I love about this movie is it's the self-containedness of its first 15 minutes, which is like its own movie, 
I love this movie. It sets the stage for the rest of the movie. But the first 15 minutes of 28 Weeks Later is like the perfect zombie movie. Uh, and uh, you meet some characters, and the standard zombie stuff happens, and most of them get killed, and it's awesome. It's, it's fantastically paced. The music, the actors, Robert Carlyle and Catherine McCormick, are, are great in it. Uh, during this scene... Um, uh, the, the zombies in 28 days and 28 weeks later move super fast. And, uh, uh, not Danny McBride, uh, Danny Boyle. Boyle, thank you. God. Uh, Danny Boyle <laughs> would shoot the zombies. Uh, it was the opposite of slow mo. He would like under crank the camera, I think, so they look like they're moving herky jerky. Uh, and that comes into play in the opening of 28 weeks later. Um, but there's one scene of slow mo in that opening bit of 28 Weeks Later. Dingus, you know this scene as well as I do, probably. Kelly Wand, I know you've seen the movie. Do you guys know when there's slow motion? Is it water-related? Nope. Hmm. Okay, then, yes, I know it. (laughs) Dingus, do you remember when it goes to slow motion? It's not when he's running out of the farmhouse? Nope. All that's over. Uh... All that's full speed. So I, I, I went back to look, and I, and I verified this is the only slow motion, and I feel it is so – I love that it's the slow motion moment because it is a decision that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Uh, 28 Days Later is about aband- this sense of abandonment. I mean that's the undertone of the kind of horror that it's getting at. 28 Weeks Later is about betrayal. Uh, ah, okay. And there's one slow motion moment when uh, Robert Carlyle and Catherine McCormick, they've got this this boy who's just arrived at the farmhouse where they're they're uh, where they're shuttered in hiding from the zombies. Uh, and the zombies break in and they run upstairs to a bedroom uh, and they're looking for the little boy who's run off somewhere. They burst into a room. The zombies are hot on their heels. Catherine McCormick sees the boy hiding in a closet to the left. Robert Carlyle sees the uh, the best way to escape, a doorway to the right. Robert Carlyle heads to the right. He tries to drag Catherine McCormick with him, but she sees the boy, and she goes to the left to get the boy. At that point, the door breaks open, and the infected flood in and, and basically almost separate them, come between them. There was a brief moment of slow motion shot very tightly on Robert Carlyle's face where he looks and sort of sees that, according to him, he's lost her. And in slow motion, it's just a shot of his face. He pulls away and goes to the right and, and basically leaves his wife. Uh, and it's just it, – it's an example, you know, like I said before, slow motion is obvious is often used to show uh, grace or the violence of poetry. But here slow motion is used to show us Robert Carlyle making the decision that will drive the rest of the movie. Uh, and I just love the fact that it just takes that one little moment, especially – and it, it looks so conspicuous too – what with how the infected or that that effect I think it's called undercranking whatever the effect is called how they've got that herky jerky stuff going but then that brief slow mo on his face as he decides and then pulls away from his wife. Um, Wait, so it's his face, not the door shutting. So I had to write. It's actually this he he, re- he retreats into the background. Yeah, it's as he's pulling away through the doorway. Yeah, hmm. totally don't that's, remember that. It's interesting. That's great. Yeah, I love. Uh, that's your number two. You have a number one that's better than that? I do, yes, kind of, uh, yeah. Damn, that's 
That's really good. Unless he just wrote him in the order he thought of him in, like I do. <laughs> well, you'll well you'll, you'll see. I mean, I, I love that scene, the emotional impact of it, and the the fact that the slow mo just highlights it, how it sort of gives it this this alternate kind of sense of reality. It gives it importance, and because the movie is about him dealing with it, making that decision and how it affects his children. Uh, yeah. Although I always thought when I watched it, mm-hmm. when the slow mo just like. Yeah, she's kind of fucked. Like, I kind of like at the time went, eh, what are you going to do? Well, that's so, part of the beauty. I mean, he's not a coward. There is this sense that if he crosses the room to get to her, then they're dead. Because he's already, like, had a couple of really close encounters with just, like, one at a time. The previous movie and even this movie have established how powerful and lethal they are. Right. Um, it's not like he's made... I think everybody watching that movie can understand his decision and, and, and understand what it must be like to wrestle with that. Uh, it is so bleak in its opening and uncompromising. Uh, and it's right after they, were, they thought they were going to eat dinner and then that. So it's like it's not like he had time to prep for, okay, if it's close, <laughs> i got to take off. But then him lying to the kids later, like, you know, it's probably better than the truth. You know what? Why do you say he lied to them? Uh... Because he said he saw her, and they go, hey, you said you saw her when they – you said you saw her die. That's a lie. They catch him in it. What are you talking I about? I think he said uh, – No. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, he's, what he believes he saw is – I don't think he's necessarily lying as just kind of recounting his best. I mean the whole thing is there's a shot actually of her – him seeing her in the window and her being yanked violently away. Right. Right. So, sure. so you can assume that the infected have her, and she does get bitten. By the way, she's bitten, but she doesn't uh, manifest the, the 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 symptoms of the rage virus. She's a not a passive carrier, whatever the word is. Uh, so she does. She has been bitten, and he has seen her violently yanked away by them. But the daughter later goes, you said you saw her, and then he says, oh, I was scared, instead of saying, no, I saw her yanked away, listen to Tom's podcast. <laughs> it's slow motion, I believe me, I remember it was... But the thing is, I really don't think it's this, this simple as, and you're right, he, he is, he wants his children to believe she's dead. Uh, and in a way, that's, that's more noble than saying, well, I don't really know what happened to her, she could still be alive. Um, I mean, I don't remember her getting yanked out. I think you're tricking me. Nope. Like I remember, she just disappeared. You just saw it because I wouldn't remember the slow motion. I just watched it. There's a shot of as he's walking away, as he's running away, he looks over his shoulder, and she's right. in the window, you know, like with her hands against the window, and there's an effect of her violently being pulled out of the window frame. Yep, absolutely. And you sound pretty sure. I just watched it. You I just watched it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but with what? Do you remember that shot? Because it's oh, kind yeah. of chilling. It's kind of like, well, but yeah, what, what I don't remember is whether or not he sees it because he's running. Because yeah, what I, what, it, what I remember is him running and the image of her in the window and him looking back. But I don't know what he sees. And what's what's fascinating to me about your choice, Tom, is what it what it says about memory and justification yeah. and and what, whether or not what we're seeing is objective or subjective. And yep. I love that. Yep. I like that movie. I don't like the first one as much because the second one's too good. Just like the Untouchables, any non-baby carriage scenes no good. <laughs> what about the baby carriage in French Connection? That's a pretty good baby carriage scene. I don't remember that. What a ripoff. I can't – let's rip off. So wait, Eisenstein patented staircases and uh, – I, I don't think there's a baby in the baby carriage in French Connection. It's Alive ripped off Eisenstein. 
you think Wait about it. Doesn't infringe connection, doesn't he hit the baby carriage and all these uh, like uh, aluminum cans go flying out of it? It's like a homeless person. That's with speed. That's <laughs> Is it really? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. And, and she, and Sandra Bullock, somehow Sandra Bullock's the one driving, but she doesn't see it, and Key, Key now sees it, and he's all, cans, cans. It was only cans. <laughs> Oh my Marty, God. Marty, those are cans. Yeah. Can't believe I did. Remember, remember when she goes, gum. There's a lot of funny lines in Speed. Thank you. That's the best comedy since 30 Minutes or Less. And it's also... <laughs> There's gum on my seat. Gum. See, it's like Speed's another fast vehicle movie with a bomb and a speeding. All right. But there is a baby carriage in French Connection, right? I don't remember that. What the hell are you talking about? I thought Popeye Doyle has to swerve out of the way of a baby carriage. And also, isn't there even, before that chase in French Connection, doesn't a woman pushing a baby carriage get shot by the sniper? And that's what causes the chase, is that Popeye Doyle is chasing the guy who shot the woman pushing a baby carriage? No, that's olive oil in Popeye with sweet pea in the baby carriage. Kelly, what is your number two choice for your favorite use of slow motion? Oh, besides Popeye? (laughs) The fight scene? <laughs> uh, JK. Oh, uh, wait. Where's my... Oh. Uh, this is boring, so let's just rush through it and then okay. get on with our lives. Uh, nah, I'll do that one later. No, nah, I'll do it now. Okay. Powakotsi. Powakotsi? I can't say it right. <laughs> Racist. See? You don't approve. I know why. Because it's the slow motion one. You like the fast motion one, right? <laughs> Better weed? Did you see the third one? You don't like those movies? Fuck you. All right, what's your number two? <laughs> Those are documentaries. Tom doesn't think they're movies. Yeah, exactly. Tom doesn't see Indian movies. He's told me in the past, off the air. So I've not seen Wind Talkers. Right. This just got real, Slumdog. By the way, one of my runners-up is arguably an Indian movie. Remember when Dingus had Dances with Wolves as best fight scene? <laughs> I think that was best scene with a dog or best reflection. Best tears. Best tears. <laughs> Best dance with a wolf. Dances with wolves is on every third three by three for Dingus. Dance with dragons, awesome. Dance with wolf, not as impressive. <laughs> oh, everyone hates Kelly Wand. Let's everyone. go to our number our number ones uh, now. Dingus, what is your favorite use of slow motion in a motion picture or film, as you're fond of calling them? Do we not get to hear Kelly Wand talk about Kiana Squatsy more? Do you like that thing, movie Dingus? That's kind of more your thing, I would think. Because Tom's too, uh, you know, square or something like us. <laughs> it goes to quite more of a music video. But but what what I want to hear what you like about the slow motion. Because uh, well, it's just the same thing. I like it would suck if it was at normal speed as a category <laughs> on a podcast. Um, the part would where Philip, they're uh, Philip Glass have refused to do it. If they did it normally. See, it's still glass. He has to do slow music, so it's like a totally different tone from Koi on a Scotsy. Although I kind of prefer life out of balance as a theme to life in transformation. Tom Thoughts, Theology, go. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> Have you seen any of those movies? Or they would just put you to sleep? No, no. I that- used to, I watched those when I was a stoner in high school and whatnot. Yeah, I remember loving those, but I wouldn't, I don't. I would put you to sleep sooner. Powakotsi watched in slow motion or Solaris watched in normal motion. The mm. George Clooney one, not the Russian one. I would watch the George Clooney Solaris again because I have not seen it since 
I don't think I've seen it since I knew that Daniel Day-Lewis was originally going to be in it. So I would watch that with an eye towards, man, wouldn't this be awesome if that was Daniel Day-Lewis? The Planet of the Apes movies would be what happened if an ape went to Solaris, and that was his like wish fulfillment Solaris fantasy, mm. where finger doesn't bleed, but the statue cries at the end. I actually have here at my house right now as we speak a Tarkovsky <laughs> Uh, science fiction movie. You know, science I have it too. Movie. It's uh oh no no. I have Andre Rublev. You have I have Stalker. Solaris. No no, not Solaris. Stalker. I've never I... seen the original. I've never seen Solaris or Stalker. So I have Stalker here in my Netflix queue, and I'm going to make a prediction right now. This is now uh, August 14th or August 15th, 2011. I am predicting that this time, two months from now, it will still be here, <laughs> unwatched. Just like Hurt Locker in Aziz Ansari's uh, Netflix queue in 30 minutes or less. Hey, when you send it back, right? I thought this was the game on the comments. <laughs> Man, I, I wish they had mentioned more other movies. That was so funny <laughs> when they did that. Pop culture. Yeah. Wait, All right, so, uh, Dingus, uh, what is your number one favorite use of slow motion in a film? Let's get real now. Let's get down to brass tacks. What's number one? Brass All tacks. Right. Uh, number one was one of two that immediately occurred to me when Kelly Wand suggested this topic, and I immediately wrote two uh, titles down, and this one survived as my number one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I'm so enamored of Tom's number two that I, I just like the way Tom's uh, – I like the way 28 Weeks Later talk, it's used for character development – or for mm-hmm. character illumination, and this is just for artistry, and it feels a little cheaper now. And, and I don't know if it's a crutch, but it, but it's definitely it, it occurred to me right away. And I watched several scenes from this film, and I can't believe it's not in my collection. Um, but I love the way slow mo is used in this in this movie, and it's uh, it's the film Raging Bull. And there are two specific um, scenes that I that I that I would choose. And uh, and when Tom was talking about uh, duplicity, uh, he said this really great little phrase, uh, poetry of violence and extreme grace, um, which is perfect for how slow motion is used to get across character and violence in Raging Bull. Uh, Poetry of violence and extreme grace. It's beautifully, beautifully said in um, but the, the, the first scene that I, that I would think about in Raging Bull is, is just the opening credit scene. And it's just this, this long shot of, of the boxing ring and Jake LaMotta, you know, in his robe dancing around in it as the credits are on the other side of the ring as if he's like, I don't know, boxing or fighting those credits. But he's just, it's just this beautiful, <laughs> it's just this beautiful dance of, of the of the fighter and then later it's the it's the it's the fight i mean slow motion is used throughout the film i mean scorsese uses he overcranks all the time he uses uh he uses slow motion in a variety of ways in a lot of his films but the but the way slow motion is used to a heightened extent to show the fighting in the sugar ray fight or in any of the fights but specifically in the you never got me down ray fight uh where where slow motion is used just to show this disgusting uh, bodily fluids flying, faces being distorted by punches, just the brutality of violence in 
in this in this boxing is is it's just beautiful. I mean, Scorsese, and, and of course the editor is is Thelma, is Thelma Shoemaker, who edited all of his stuff. But it's just gorgeous. Is she wait? Is she, is she the woman who died like a couple years ago? Yeah, she yeah, she died recently. The whole movie or the dancing or the boxing is your choice. Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm just choosing. Uh, you, you can just use the whole movie. I mean, the the two things I would choose would either be the opening credit sequence or the Ray fight. Um, but but slow motion is used perfectly in this film. It, it, you know, in in this way that would. I mean, Rocky came out before this, and I don't. I haven't seen Rocky in a long time, so I don't remember how slow motion is used in the boxing there. But <laughs> it's but not as good, film. especially um, the fourth one. But the the original Rocky comes out in what seventy six and Raging Bull is eighty. I don't remember when Rocky actually came out. But but the the way um, they use slow motion to show the punches and the brutality and the and the damage that it does to human beings would later be copped by many other films yeah. that show boxing later on. That that slow mo punch to the face is such a cliche now. And is that yeah. is that something that did Raging Bull kind of is that the first movie that really happened across that? It feels like it to me, but again, I don't remember Rocky, the the original Rocky, but it feels like um Scorsese's doing a heightened version of that and then everybody comes along and says, Oh, that's the way to do it when he's making a comment on that. You know? The ending of Rocky Two had them like getting it was like a race to see who stands up first in slow motion, and that's how he wins the fight. <laughs> uh, Dingus, you saw the fighter recently. Is there any sort of that kind of stuff cribbed in the fighter? You know, the fight. I, I just felt like the the fighting stuff in the fighter was uh, just a poor shadow of of fighting movies. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't like. I didn't care for the fighter, and and I thought that the the you know, I heard so many people talk about what a great sports movie was and what a great boxing movie was, and I just thought that the the fighting stuff was was poorly done, and the slow mo was was just like kidney shots and whatnot. The best fight scenes in the fighter are with Amy Adams, his <laughs> fucking sisters, <laughs> and where the like mom throws the frying pan at the dad, not in slow motion. It's like the women do all the good fighting in the fighter. That's what he's trying to say. Well, I now want to see that. You didn't see it? There's not much uh, fighting in it. I know you're a big boxing fan because of QuakeCon. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm saving myself for Warrior this Christmas. Did you know the apocryphal tale of where uh, De Niro said to Joe Pesci in the scene where he's all, did you fuck my wife? He said in one take, I fucked your mother or something. Like to ma- And so it's like his reaction of... Genuine horror is the actor responding. That that's the, that's going to get Joe Pesci to react with horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because De Niro did it, and he's fat. <laughs> that would just make I don't, I don't understand. That would just make me giggle. <laughs> My friend said that to me. I just start giggling. That's what Luke did? Perry said to Tom on nine hundred two one zero, and that's how he got that. Iconic. That story is strictly apocryphal. That didn't happen. That's how in thirty minutes or less he goes. Did you fuck my sister? And then. In the movie script already, so you're a twin. Did you feel it when I fucked her? Uh, come on, that's all right. Never heard that before since Jedi. Oh, uh, too soon, too soon. <laughs> all right, my number one. You ready for this? You guys, I, I think you might hate this. Uh, 
So, so Dingus, you mentioned Raging Bull and, and how uh, the craft of slow-mo is really important there. Uh, this is how I feel about my number one, is that slow-mo, I traditionally don't care for it. It is such a crutch. This was the uh, an innovative use of slow-mo that is now, I think, widely reviled. But when it happened in this movie... Uh, it even earned its own name, and uh, I love the bullet time slow mo in the Matrix. Oh, uh, I remember, I remember seeing the Matrix for the first time, and and I don't think knowing anything about it, and and just loving seeing that effect. Now, bullet time is, I maintain, just slow motion. The technical definition of like bullet time is, it's just extreme slow motion, but the camera is moving in at normal speed, so it's not just. Uh, it's not just slowing down the action. It also involves camera movement. That's what I think technically makes it bullet time, but I don't care about that. It's still the act of slowing something down so you can more appreciate basically the athleticism of it. Uh, That's how it was used in The Matrix. Um, And I loved that. I loved how it was used to create this sense of people operating at a different level of reality like superhuman abilities. You know, the opening of The Matrix, and I went back and watched this, and, man, there's so many awesome things in this movie. I mean, the the second two movies have completely screwed it up, but the opening of The Matrix, especially Uh if you don't know what's going on yet, has this great sense where the cops burst in and there's Carrie Ann Moss in this really hot leather outfit. You know, you think the Wachowski brothers had just done Bound, so it kind of makes sense that here's Carrie Ann Moss and clad in tight leather, you know, she stands up, the cops are going to arrest her, and then she does this weird thing where she jumps in the air to do this flying kick, and she's basically frozen in time while the camera's spinning around. Man, that looked awesome. Uh, and, and so I love how the Matrix sort of revitalized slow motion and used it in the service of the story that was created in, 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 the, in the service of the world that, that was created in, in the movie. Uh so it's abused now, like right now it's kind of a joke, but I, I think it holds up uh, in The Matrix. There's a lot of cool slow motion in The Matrix, actually. I think All of like that I mean, part I, yeah. where, the, uh, where the steel door comes off at the end, like just arbitrarily, like after they shoot all those cops and security guards, which they stopped doing in the second two movies. How come it, cops are no You mean the, when the tile falls? There's a tile. No, when the, he's talking the about elevator the blows up, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. The door of the elevator flies up. It, oh, oh. It's like, but... It's, but but bullet time and slow mo, like the slow mo in the lobby scene. I mean, there, there. Bullet time is a That's is slow-mo. a right. is a different thing. I mean, it's like it's. I, I think just, they they physically set up like a, like thirty or forty cameras all around and then shot stills of of what they were going to do. Those cameras are 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 on an arc and right. they shoot the that shot and then they stitch those all together so and and i like what you're doing because that's that's kind of a deconstruction of slow-mo well i I maintain it is slow-mo like think of uh of neo dodging the bullets he's in motion you know carrie ann moss when she does that kick that she's kind of frozen uh but but there later they use that that technique with the the different shots taken from cameras set up at three in 360 degrees in a green screen room and then they interpolate between the different frames i think uh But the effect is still very much slow-mo. It's just shown in a different way. It's the, the, the camera movement is decoupled from the slow motion. Uh, I mean, that's, right, but it's, that's, it's like, not like over-cranking and, and adding frames. It's a correct. different sense of that, and I like that choice. But would you, like, do you think, 
like if you were to talk to someone about slow motion, do you do you think there's like people think of bullet time as different than slow motion? I think they think of it as its own thing, but I think you're right uh, because essentially we're just taking photographs and we're we're using them at a different speed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The cell phone falls in slow motion, doesn't it? In, Is that on the ledge? Yeah, when it goes into the trash can. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, slow motion is used throughout, and I and I. I mean, I really thought about the lobby scene a lot because it, it's just it's not so much a crutch, but it works so well with the music and the way that film is that that scene is filmed and all the the bullet casings falling. I mean, there, there's so much that's going on there that again, which is something I talked about with Untouchables. It's an indulgence that I'm happy to have indulged. Well, the thing is, like this, this is nothing new. Showing somebody doing something kick-ass in slow mo. I mean, Sam Peckinpah loved doing bullet squibs in slow motion. You know, that was his kind of trademark. And certainly, John Woo has all these great action sequences that he just slows down to appreciate. But in The Matrix, it felt like something fresh and different. This was slow motion to show us people operating a different reality, a different level of reality. Right. Um, it's a plot point. It, you know what it is? Bullet Time was originally a plot point. Yeah. And and what's cool about it is that the film seeks to uh, the story seeks to justify it. It's right. not just it's not just the filmmaker deciding, yeah, I want to show you some but something that's going on so that you can see it. The the film the, the screenwriter and the filmmakers are saying this is why it slowed down. Right. It's a, it's a marriage, I think, and this is rare. This is all too rare. It, it's like a marriage of, of narrative and technique. You, you know, a lot of times you'll get some crazy technique stuff like Robert Zemeckis wanting to do that weird rotoscoping thing, and it has nothing to do with the narrative. You know, we've got this new technology, and we're just going to use it to tell a story, and they have nothing to do with each other. The Matrix uh, was a great movie for having this new technology and having it be a part of the narrative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw the slow mo. It's like the physics work differently in yep. the Matrix world. So it's like the slow mo is like underscoring, like this is in the same place. Slow motion can happen sometimes. Right. Because you don't get bullet time when they're on the what, what, what's their silly ship called? The Morpheus. The or no? Morpheus. <laughs> Racist. Seren- it's called the Serenity. I believe. But when you see, it's like the slow motion buildings crashing into helicopters and like things looking like. It's not the way it would be in our universe because you can see it in slow motion. It's like it's supposed to be programming. Well, code. You know, with bullet time and specifically, I mean, she says you move like one of them. Mm. They say that in Twilight too, by the way. <laughs> Taylor Lautner. <laughs> but not that I know. I only read the books. Uh-huh. One, of, one of the things I noticed watching the first scene of The Matrix, you know, they're, they're, the cops are chasing uh, Trinity along these rooftops. Um, uh-huh. That totally looks like it's shot on a sound stage. Do you guys remember that? Like it's yeah. like there's a matte painting behind them of the city. I mean, it works. It's an artistic choice, but it totally looks like something from like a TV show in the 30s or something. But like, that makes it work better. It's I awesome. know, I know, it's fantastic. I love the look of that. And the thing is, well, the even her jump movie. through the window when she, I mean, that jump through the window yep. and the sound of it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like something out of a Superman movie. Like she's all stretched out and she spins around like she's Superman flying or something. Like it's got this great sort of pulp movie feel to it that uh, I, I don't know. I mean, poor Matrix. And the cops are scared of the agents. Remember when the Matrix was like it felt like a horror movie at the beginning? 
Like, that's uh, that's it's coming for you. Well, that's the thing yeah. is when the agents drive up and the cops are like, "We've already sent two units." Right. There. Hugo Weaving turns around and says, "They're already dead." <laughs> that's yeah. fantastic. I know. I know. It's so good. And then and then we go in to see them get killed. By the way, and they get killed. Well, it's you know, it's a whole, yeah. it's fake reality, so they're not really killed or whatever. But <laughs> uh, no, they're totally killed. They die. This they go over this. Oh, when you get killed, you die in the tank. Yeah, they're fucked. Ah, they're to- right. They kill tons of cops. It's great. It's a great movie. <laughs> Those are the days, man. Yeah, you could do that. All right, so there's my number one. Kelly, one. What is your favorite use of slow mo in a movie? Oh, mm. oh! By the way, while Dingus was talking about Raging Bull, I wrote Noya Quatsies, the Jedi of the Cotsology. Hmm. I don't get that, but it's awesome. Great. Well, you didn't see the show. third one. I was right. aware there was a third. Uh, are those Errol Morris, by the way? No. Uh, I forget his name. It doesn't okay. matter. Just look it up, listeners. <laughs> I'm not here for that. I'm here to talk about my number one use of slow motion, which is, uh, Tom, you and I are both cat lovers. I mean, not, not the way you're a grandfather lover, but like, just we, we like cats around us. Um, so Garfield? No, good guess though. Keep going. Marmaduke's not a cat. Spoiler. No? Uh, I don't, let's see, other cat movies. I don't know, is it the cat in Coraline? Is he ever in slow mo? Uh, this is boring. Let's get over this. It's, uh, in Kung Fu Hustle, do you remember the slow mo in that? Involving a cat at all? Uh, I've never s- have I seen Kung Fu Hustle. I have, ah, seen one, and I don't remember any slow mo with a cat. I'm afraid. Remember where the two dudes who play the um, zither piano keyboard percussion thing show up? Those like super uh, thin, stretched out dudes, the twins. Unlike the twins in Thirty Minutes or Less, and the Quake Con. <laughs> who hosted your uh, hotel room? <laughs> no? All right. Uh, keep going. Keep going. Like sure it'll come back to me. Where, okay, it's actually a great scene, but it's where uh, those two dudes, they play this instrument, and it sets out, it sends out like these invisible projectiles that later you can see as slow motion horses or something. I can't remember. Maybe I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings. Anyway, point is this. It's like uh, you see in like the shadows of things like coming and coming apart and being torn in half by the uh, the things. You don't remember what I'm talking about? No. Okay. It's like the now cat. This is the movie. This is the movie with Jack Black playing a panda bear, right? <sighs> anyway, Kung Fu Hustle when the uh, cat jumps. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing you say the word projectiles. By the way, projectiles. <laughs> <laughs> delightful. When that cat jumps. Also, right. uh, in Cloverfield... Oh, are these your runners-up, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Okay. Cloverfield, there's slow-mo in Cloverfield? Because that's found footage. Yeah. You can have slow-mo. Right, but if you you can watch the one chick blow up in slow-mo on YouTube, so that should count. Because you can't see it when you see it. Oh, that's right. What happens to that girl? Right, right. So you have to go to the internet to watch the movie in slow-mo the way... That's pretty brazen, see? That's like... no. Oh. You paid for this, but you get that for free. Right, right. Uh, Dingus, did you have any runners up for favorite uses of slow mo? I had at least I had at least four runners up. Wow, four! All right, let's hear them. All right, the one that almost made the list uh, was the gag one. That's the uh, slow mo gag from L.A. Story when he's in the shower and he turns the shower to slow mo. Huh. Okay, good. 
the others are two Wes Andersons. Ah, um, uh, yes, a lot of a lot of good slow mo in Wes Anderson. The uh, Rushmore Final Dance okay, is yeah. a beautiful slow mo. Wrong one and though. The wrong one, yeah, that's the wrong one. The Green Line Bus is the other one from Royal Tenenbaums. When, um, Jesus. when, uh, Jesus. when, uh, she's getting off the bus and it's, uh, the Nico Case song. Oh, yes, yes, very good. The she being Gwyneth Paltrow. Ah, yes, very good. And the, the final runner up would be the Zombieland credits, which would be a good movie by the director of 30 Minutes or Less. Ah, very good. And there's a lot of great little, uh, slow motion zombie stuff going on in zombie line opening credits. Good. Uh, among yeah. my runners up, I have two. Uh, this is a movie that I am so incredibly gay for. Uh, and there's a moment, and this is an Indian movie. There's a moment in Last of Mohicans when, uh, when Madeline Stowe, there's a big battle scene where the English have, uh, they've surrendered to the French and they've been allowed to leave the fort so that, uh, Wait, Mogwai? What's Wes Studi's character's name? Racist. I think I'm calling him the name of one of the gremlins. I think I screwed up. No, Mowgli, uh, whatever Wes Studi's name is. Anyway, he wants to kill Madeline Stowe because she's the daughter of this this uh, English general. So anyway, there's a great battle scene. Uh, one of the uh, evil Indians has Madeline Stowe and is about to cut her throat. And Daniel Day Lewis is like running to save her, and their eyes meet. There's not a lot of slow mo, but there are a couple of moments in this scene where he's dashing across this battlefield where you know Michael Mann slows down the action, and you can see their eyes meeting. I, I just I love Last of the Mohicans. Uh, it might be a little silly, but good lord, I love that movie, and I love how he uses slow-mo to sort of accentuate the uh, the tension of that, that scene. But another great use of slow-mo, where it's like technique and service of narrative, have you guys seen Pulse, the original? It's called Cairo in, in Japanese. Uh, nope. Uh, all right, well, so. the, the ghosts in that, it's this great, it's a great Japanese horror movie that I think, it's, it's a little weird and subtle, and it doesn't have a, you know, like the scary little girl thing. It, it doesn't really do that. It has this whole weird idea of, technology kind of being haunted and, and destroying humanity. But but there are these really creepy ghost sequences where, where and this isn't going to sound the least bit scary when I describe it, the ghosts move in slow motion. And you'd think, well, that's not scary. It's like a zombie. You know, you just run away from it. It's not going to hurt you. But, but the director of Cairo does some really, really creepy stuff with slow motion. So I love that. Um, I liked In the Ring where... Uh Samara jump cuts. Stop! You're scaring me. Don't say that. Don't mention that. That, that scared me, me out. I'm that like, wait, she, you can't get away because she could jump cut to you. That's right. Jump cut, jump cut movement, like that Burger King thing. Very scary stuff. Very scary. And that's what's cool about Cairo is it 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 doesn't have to do that. These ghosts are slow mo, but they're still scary. Well, they're moving slow because they know they're going to get you anyway, and they're just t- tormenting you. They don't care. They're in no yeah, hurry. They don't fuck you. They, they got all day. It's slower the better. You're not going anywhere. Jump cut, slow mo, under crank, ghost got it all figured out. Just ask Zach Bagans. What is that? Oh, you don't know who that is? I just discovered him this weekend. We have to talk about it. All right. He's this. Uh, he's like this, like the spectacled cut dude who like chase ghosts. He has tattoos and shit. Oh God, is this something like on Sci-Fi that you watch? 
I think it's Travel Channel. Oh, for Pete's sake. And it's like a game show. It's like teams of people, like like fat old ladies with like EKM, like different kinds of camcorders. You know what? No, Kelly Wan, no. I tried to watch some Bigfoot reality TV show recently, and I'm, I'm done with that stuff. I'm not going to watch anything about ghost hunters. He goes, oh, something just felt me. But it's like he's like big, he's like a big burly dude. Like that's what impressed the ghosts. Like, uh, if you can just punch him. Yeah. Incorporeal spirit. So while we're talking briefly about ghosts, have either of you seen the Paranormal Activity 3 trailer yet that I told you about? Because they yeah. showed it before, I guess, Final Destination. Have you guys seen that yet? You saw every movie I wanted to do a podcast about. Well, we still can. That doesn't mean we're not. Uh, then you gave away the endings of all of them. I, you know what? I feel bad. But seriously, don't go. S- Kelly Wan, there's so many good things that me and Dingus bring up that you need to see. Don't waste your time with Final Destination 5. Come on. You see so few movies. I mean, you see plenty of movies, but there are so many that we really want you to see instead. Like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But Presage Paper Company? They actually say Presage Paper Company. That's how they refer (laughs) to it in the movie. They call it the Presage Paper Company. And I I was thinking, well, wait, have I been mispronouncing it wrong all along? Uh, And I meant to look it up before I got on the podcast, but I didn't. I'm pretty sure it's Presage, like you presage something. Uh, Is Tony Todd in it? Just yeah, but, you know, you know, yeah, he is. But you know what else Tony Todd is in? Uh, he is in a movie with Tom Hardy called Minotaur. Uh, That's a true fact. True fact. 100% true. Tony Todd is in Minotaur with Tom Hardy, and Tony Todd is unbelievably awful in Minotaur. Hmm. I swear, if you, Minotaur's no good, but if you want to see... Like, Tony Todd can be cool, and he's an awesome-looking dude, And but if you want to see Tony Todd utterly humiliate himself... Do I? Rent Minotaur. He is so are you, bad. Are you getting paid every time you mention Minotaur? <laughs> I know. And here's the code you want to use. Use my referral uh-huh. code. You watch Minotaur. 6969. Six, nine. Six, nine. Uh, I watched Minotaur because it's from the same director as a guy who did a really cool historical action movie called Ironclad with Paul Giamatti. Uh. Uh, and his previous movie was Minotaur. Ironclad is awesome. Minotaur is, is terrible. But maybe we will mention briefly again Ironclad next week because guess what we're going to see? Anyone? Paul Giamatti live in concert. Paul Giamatti. That, that would be something. But no, let's let's go to Conan 3D. How do you guys feel about that? Yay! Hooray! Huh, Dingus? Yeah, Dingus? Dingus loves pulp uh, 30s adventure serial. You should have seen, by the way, how utterly confused Dingus was during the John Carter trailer. (laughs) Oh, dude, what's uh, that trailer? So it's so wrong. It's so wrong. It's just not how I pictured it. I got such a strong Prince of Persia vibe from that trailer. Uh, Did you read those books when you were young? You guys don't read anything. Why am I even? I'm sitting there next to Tom, and he goes, "John Carter." I'm like, "What?" Talking about is this a Pocahontas movie? What are you they took about? out Mars. They don't even mention Mars. Oh no! Lose well, you the say they don't mention Mars, but they have a little logo that's a letter J and a letter C above a letter M. So it's going to be either Scientology or Christian Rock or um, Jonas Brothers. Or but you know, from what little I know of Edgar Rice Burroughs, that that does not seem at all like an Edgar. Let me Rice just say this: all the the Martian chicks are hot, super hot, and nudists and red skinned. And in that preview, you can barely see her eyes. Hmm. Even. By the way, Kelly Wand, uh, love is a cage that keeps me from dancing with you. <laughs> 
Wait, that's from Tarzan. He doesn't. And then <laughs> that, those are the lyrics to the song that is playing over the John Carter trailer. By the way, oh, there's like some. It's like a seal song or something. <laughs> because he's a Civil War veteran, they have period music. It should be that uh, Thomas Edison doll that they just found, like the earliest. They're report. seriously naming a movie John Carter. That's what they're naming it, John it's Carter. John Carter. Well, isn't that the name of Noah Wiley's character on ER? Seriously, I'm not making that up. I believe that that is a true fact. I think it's Joel Weisbrot. I could be wrong. Dingus, nobody knows what you're talking about. John John Carter. (laughs) All right, so let's go see Conan 3, not just Conan, 3D. We're going to see it in 3D. We're going to force Dingus to see another 3D. (sighs) We're all giving 3D another chance. Yeah, it's Rose McGowan in 3D. That's something we haven't seen before. (laughs) But Robert Rodriguez has. (laughs) Rose McGowan is in Conan? Fuck yeah, bitch. Now, is she? She's not, okay. She's not oh. the one that was in 28 Weeks Later. She's the one that was in Planet That's Rose Byrne. You're thinking okay. of Bridesmaids. They're right. both great. I'd love them both if I was a Mormon. Well, and also that, that dude from uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> ah! Your favorite book you'll never finish because you don't <laughs> like writing. I've seen the, you- the TV show. I don't need to read the book. Oh, dude, you're missing out. you got to get into the fucking history, man. All right. So there we go. Let's see. Uh, oh, oh, actually, before we, uh, before we sign off, we've skipped a very important thing here. Dingus, let's do a 3x3 three three next week. And oh, why yeah. don't you tell us, Dingus, what we're doing for our 3x3? Three three? Oh, we're going to do that again? <laughs> do what? Wait. Do we do it? Yeah, Kelly, I think you and I, Dingus announced it while you and I were talking about John Carter or something. That's true. Ah. I was prattling on, and you guys... Are we like, haven't ah. seen each other in two weeks. It's it's We had a lot to get off our chests to each other. We did, been, yes. We're like brothers, except for the incest. <laughs> Dingus, See? quick, say something before... Yeah, all right. Uh, these, these are your, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> these are your three favorite wrecks or wreckage. Uh, so I just saw a movie recently that had a really great a uh, small plane back in it. Uh, I'm not going to take that off the table because it might be one of my choices. I love um, this. I love it. So Sight. you can choose an actual wreck that's happening, or you can choose wreckage if you want. And uh, But it has to be distinctive. Like, uh, for instance, um, I just watched Zombieland after being really disheartened by watching 30 Minutes or Less. And there's this great, just little moment after um, Jesse Eisenberg gets picked up by Woody Harrelson, where they're on the, the freeway and it's littered by cars that have been wrecked, but there's this plane that's been that, there's this plane, and, and Shadowcat knows what I'm talking about uh, <laughs> there's a plane that's gone across the freeway and split in half, and I love that wreckage, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna let you guys choose wreckage, but it has to be distinctive, or you can choose an actual wreck that's happening on the screen so which one what are you it, taking? What did you see that you're taking off the table? Zombieland? Zombieland. Oh, oh okay. Take that off the table. It doesn't really matter. I'm just using that as an example of wreckage uh, to give you something else to go with. Now, I want to real quick just uh, to just make sure that we're kind of all on the same page. Does wreckage mean like a vehicle that has crashed? Is that a criteria for what you mean? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm, I'm not okay. talking about a marriage that's fallen apart. Well, no, like ruins, like ruins are like a structure that's crumbled. But I think we, when you say a wreck, it's a vehicle that has crashed somehow. Right. So that's and what you mean. When okay. I say a wreck, a vehicle in the act of crashing 
that you see on the screen. That's what I, that's what's inspired me. Or you can also go with a, a fabulous wreckage. That's a vehicle that's, that has been wrecked and is, is distinctive in the movie. Good. I like this. Kelly Wan, it sounded like you liked it too. Uh, what about the movie wreck? That yeah, save, save it for the podcast. <laughs> uh, there'll be more. That. No, you, you can use Wreck 2, but you can't use the first one. <laughs> All right, so that's our 3x3 three three next week, our favorite wrecks or wreckage. We will be seeing Conan the – is it called Conan the Barbarian 3D? Is that the full name? Of Thank Mars. You. Thank you, Shadowcat. <laughs> All right, we will be seeing that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClan – yeah, I know. Christian McClansky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Also, slow motion runner up the brownest slash pinkest boob in Meaning of Life. Don't want no paper Uh, also, uh, good body switch movie, Young Spock in Search for Spock, and Taylor Lautner in the Star Trek remake. <laughs>